Hey everyone, this is Brian. Um, if you took a quick look at the title of this episode, you might be thinking, oh, they got Mike Allred back on the show. Uh, and then if you took a slightly longer look, you might be thinking, wait, didn't we already hear this episode? Uh, and the answer is yes, you you did. Uh, this is our season opener from last season. Um, uh, and uh, this is the uncut extended version um, that our Patreon subscribers get. Um, so uh, if you are not already a Patreon subscriber, um, this is a taste of what you could expect should you choose to become one at patreon.com slash Marvel by the month. Um, but yeah, uh, this version is like an hour or so longer than the public version that we ran originally. Um, and uh, yeah, it, Mike was such a great guest, so generous with his time. We really love this episode. Um, and you might also be wondering, well, why are you running a rerun this week? Um, well, a simple answer is, uh, I did not take my own advice. I did not stay inside and read comics. Uh, and I wound up coming down with COVID. So hooray. Uh, fortunately, uh, it's a very mild case. Um, I have, um, uh, managed not to, uh, infect my co-hosts. Um, so, uh, they're doing fine. Um, but, uh, yeah, just needed to take a, a week or so off, uh, to be able to get back up to speed. So, um, hopefully we will be back with you next week. Uh, we have recorded an episode, uh, that was supposed to go up this week, uh, but just did not have, uh, the energy or the stamina or the ability to focus, uh, to be able to get that ready for you this week. So, uh, that episode will hopefully go up next Wednesday. Um, and it's a good one, so I uh, can't wait for you to hear it. But uh, this week, um, sit back, relax, uh, and enjoy a very extended version of our episode with Mr. Mike Allred. Hey there. Nickel's web is spun. Now it's Romita's run. A silver surfing hell surprise. Cosmic Cubbies arrived Twelve stamps and missions Thrilled by seats Where science Myth and magic Meets From 61 Into the seventy Exponential Growth Only in humanity Hey there, and welcome to Marvel by the Month, the podcast that takes you through the history of Marvel Comics one month at a time. In this episode, that month is September 1968. My name is Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Milne. So this is the first regular episode of our sixth season. Hooray, we made it to yeah. six. Maybe we'll even make it through six if we're lucky. <laughs> uh, this season's going to be a little bittersweet. Um the uh, kind of the the overarching theme to this one is uh, it's the countdown to Jack Kirby's departure from Marvel Comics. Yeah. Um, and no one really knows it's coming yet. Maybe not even Kirby himself. Um, 
there's definitely some evidence that he is disgruntled, but uh, he's still gruntled enough to keep showing up um, and, and doing the work. He likes the money. We yeah. About Kirby. He will draw for money. Yes, uh. <laughs> exactly. He's got, I think, three or four kids to support by this point. Um, plus, I, I can't remember if he has paid off uh, the lawsuit that drove him to Marvel Comics or not yet. But uh, but yeah, he he, uh, he needs to earn um, and he's he's doing a pretty good job of it. Um, but, uh, you know, as we go through the season, we'll get into the reasons why Kirby finally decides to, you know, to to jump ship from Marvel um, we'll get into that in a little bit more detail. Also, I'm pretty excited by the fact that um, we are going to be bringing in some Kirby experts and artists who were particularly inspired by his work uh, in their own careers. Um, and that starts in this very episode where we have a very special guest joining us a little later in the show. Um, Rob, I know you are a big fan of this person's work. So do you want to tell the people a little bit about who we've got coming up? Yeah, we have uh, my very favorite comics creator uh i mean creator that's like beyond neil gaiman beyond alan moore who i adore both they're like you know gods but uh this guy's work uh touched me when i was just a a young man i just like read it 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 spoke to me uh this is mike mike allred or michael allred depending on where you read his name and uh he has this very retro style that is wondrous and if you've seen any kevin smith movie you've probably seen his artwork in there he drew the blunt man and chronic work that you see in chasing amy when their ben affleck is like tracing over comic stuff that's his drawing uh he's even in that movie but uh yeah he is a he is a oregonian as well so born in roseburg uh which is south of here he is a a wonder i i I can't say enough about it. His coloring work, his early work he wrote and drew. He's just an inspiring individual. So I can't wait to talk to him. We have to say thank you to our friend Matt Fraction for making the introduction uh, here. Um, uh, Mike and Matt had a really great run on an FF uh, Fantastic Four spinoff series called FF. It was everything I could have hoped for from either man. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Mike has also done, he did a run on Marvel's Ecstatics, uh, which was, it was basically the last days of X-Force. And then uh, they switched over to calling it Ecstatics and, and really um, kind of put the nail in the coffin of that whole era of X-Books <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in a in a real big way. Yeah. He did also do a run on uh, Silver Surfer not too long ago. That is one of the finest. Um, it's one of the most character defining runs. He didn't write it, but he he did uh, all the art and contributed, of course, in the Marvel manner to creating the book. So it is a it is just a joy to read. And that's the thing. A lot of his his work is just joyous. It has um, it has an innocence, even when it is doing even when crazy and violent things are happening. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a great way to sum it up. And of course, he created Madman. I, I can't believe we we took this long to get this point. That is my favorite comics character. So yes, uh, yeah, yes, uh, one you have disguised yourself as on numerous occasions. I built my own costume to be Frank Einstein. Yeah. That's pretty rad. Uh, well, Michael, join us in just a few minutes. Uh, before he does, we're going to establish some historical context for what was going on in the world in September of 1968. Um, I will go ahead and, and kick things off here. Um, on the 7th of uh, September 1968, 
Two different protests were made against the Miss America beauty pageant in Atlantic City, New Jersey. One was against sexism. Uh, the other was against racism. Um, feels like this is a good time to remind everyone that uh, Donald Trump was heavily involved in the Miss America pageant for a <laughs> good portion of his career. Um, uh, activist and author Robin Morgan and 100 members of the feminist organization New York Radical Women organized the No More Miss America protest. The event was one of the first large demonstrations of second wave feminism as the women's liberation movement began to attract national media attention. And the very first Miss Black America pageant took place at the nearby Ritz-Carlton Hotel, initially to call attention to the lack of African-American contestants in the pageant. Sandra Williams of Pennsylvania was crowned Miss Black America hours after Judith Ford won the Miss America title. Wow, what a weird time. Yeah. Uh, and it's good to remember this fight has been going on. These fights have been going on for quite some time as we talk about civil and equal rights uh, very often on the show. Yeah, this is a, just another example. Um, well, on the 14th of September, the Archie show debuted on the CBS network, bringing the teenage characters from the popular Archie comics to TV and giving them instruments to play as a rock band, the Archies. Uh, one of the Archie's recordings from the animated show Sugar Sugar reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 of best-selling songs the following year and would stay there for four weeks and I'm sure if you have heard any classic rock radio that song has instantly started to earworm your brain right now so uh, other TV series that premiered in September of 1968 included 60 Minutes the, Man- the Banana Splits Adventure Hour, um, Julia, Mayberry RFD, the spinoff from the Andy Griffith Show, um, uh, Here's Lucy, Lucille Ball's third sitcom, Adam 12, The Mod Squad, and Hawaii Five-0. I yeah. can definitely say the last few were uh, watched by me a lot in reruns. <laughs> uh, yeah, and speaking of uh, television programs of the time, on the 16th of September, presidential candidate Richard Nixon joined the many celebrities who had cameo appearances on the popular Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In show to utter the show's catchphrase, Sock it to me, <laughs> as the program opened its second season. Nixon's appearance was a pre-recorded three-second clip where Nixon awkwardly feigned surprise and asked, Sock it to me? (laughs) A contemporary report made after Newsweek magazine broke the surprise noted that only a few years ago it would have been inconceivable that a candidate for president of the United States would appear on a television variety show. And now it seems inconceivable that they wouldn't. <laughs> there is no there's no way to conceive of what they would do next at this point. Right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, that, so that was uncouth at the time. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that was beyond the pale. Um, but, you know, I guess that's another thing we can thank Richard Nixon for. Um <laughs> So that's uh, kind of an abbreviated historical context this month. We want to leave plenty of time to make sure that uh, we get a chance to uh, go in depth with Mr. Mike Allred. Uh, So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to bring him onto the show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back here on Marvel by the Month. Right. Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. We are so excited to talk to this week's guest. You have seen his work in the pages of Neil Gaiman's Sandman and Marvel Comics' Ecstatics, FF, and Silver Surfer. 
He has won international acclaim for his creator-owned comics, including Red Rocket 7, The Golden Plates, iZombie, Bowie, and of course Madman, which celebrates its 30th anniversary in 2022. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> his, uh, his latest comics work, X-Ray Robot, has just been collected in trade paperback. Mike Allred, thank you so much for joining us on Marvel by the Month. It's it's a pleasure. It's nice to talk to somebody new. <laughs> <laughs> Social isolation has been really good for this podcast. <laughs> well, Mike, so I have uh, I've been a fan of your work since I picked up the original issues of Madman in my hometown comics store uh, of Comics Outpost in Barrie, Vermont. Uh, but you are literally Rob's favorite comics creator of all time. So, wow. Rob, Rob, I'm just going to give you a chance to fanboy out here. And, and don't worry, Mike, I will cut him off after two minutes or once it becomes really <laughs> awkward and then we can move on. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Since uh, in the interest of time, I know we only have a little bit of time to talk about these uh, lovely Silver Age comics. So I prepared a brief statement to keep myself on track. Uh, I could spend all the time like an hour plus fawning over you, Mike. Uh, but, and you're just all the work you've done, all the different things you've done from, you know, the gear work with the son of red rocket seven, the music stuff. Um, but uh, my, my wife, Barb asked me if I was excited. And I said, uh, I tried to explain to her by saying that you were the Mike Patton of comics to me. So I, I love, <laughs> I love Mike Patton. Yes. Faith No More, Mr. Bungle, Tomahawk, Phantomas, uh, just so many. He does so many different things, but uh, he's like one of my favorite uh, no, I, I artists. I hate to interrupt you, but just, it's so weird and obscure that you would say his name, especially because I just saw just recently, like in the past two weeks, a rerun of Faith No More on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> and um, it was one of the greatest performances I've ever seen on that show. They just they just went insane. He climbed up on the uh, that big fan the in fan? the, yeah. the back. <laughs> anyway, it just it, incredible. So it's really odd that, uh, I mean, I, I think no one has brought his name up to me in, in 20 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that also is telling that I'm, I'm of the same age and, uh, and I played music in Portland for years and, and Eugene in Seattle and everywhere, but, uh, and I love rock music. So you're, um, you know, the things you've done and the, the way that you've referenced rock music, um, and the history of it. So I, I would say the Beatles are my favorite band, but I, Mike Patton is like one of my very favorite artists. So, um, as well, you're going to be really, ha- you're going to be very happy with one of the things that's on my drawing board right now. I can't say anything more than that. And oh, so, uh, <laughs> so keep going. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's all I, I, I'm going to leave it really, I, you know, I have so many things, you know, I have a 95 yo-yo of Madman. I have, I was Madman for ha- Halloween for many years, made my own costume. So, uh, oh, yeah, it's, terrific. Yeah, I'm a bonkers fan, so I'm, I'm <laughs> no not gonna get into weird, stocky, you know, crazy stuff. But I do totally love uh, your work and appreciate everything you've done. It's it's inspired me in my own uh, design and art and music. So thank you. Well, that that means more than I can say. Uh, you know, we we work in 
in this creative space and we kind of imagine that hopefully what we're doing will reach somebody and that it will be special to them. And so, I mean, I, it's, that is the reason why I go to comic book shows. I, I, we don't bring any stuff to sell. We might, I, I might bring my portfolio of original art, but we're not there selling books or anything. We're there to, you know, say thank you by signing a book. You know, we don't, we don't charge for signatures and we don't, we don't, uh, have a limit on our signatures we you know we've literally had people bring carts in and um we'll we'll run them through the line we don't you know we don't make everybody wait to have me sign everything but they'll you know i'll sign like you know 20 or so and and then they'll go to the back of the line and and we'll just keep going until everything they brought got signed in my laura feels the same way it's the least we can do to say thank you by by doing that and that sometimes they've even after a show because at a time just sat on the sidewalk outside and just finished signing everything they had it, it means the world to us that somebody that everybody that supports our work does because this is the dream job this is what i did for fun in my spare time when i had a whole other career so that i can make a living at this is just i i, I never get jaded about it, it it's just a thrill that I get to do what I get to do and create what I get to create. So it, I, I never get tired of people showing their appreciation because I, it's, it, I, I brought right back. I'm endlessly grateful awesome. that people like what we do. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, oh, I, I did, I, I just had a tiny tangent. Did you guys ever see the original Pee Wee Herman special on HBO? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> there was that there was that uh, short film in, in it where they they cut away to this this old 1950s film about being polite in school and it's yes. like don't be a Mr. Bungle. That's yeah. They they have those. Um, that's where the name came from, and that for the that's Mr. The band Mr. Bungle. Yeah. I, I needed that confirmation. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's you, learning something today. <laughs> if you want to hear some really crazy music, listen to Mr. Bungle's California. It's like their, um, it's like their pet sounds. Um, it's a massively orchestrated album with all kinds of various themes about, uh, science fiction and, uh, other weird topics, but, but mainly from their, um, you know, talking about their lives in California. They grew up in Northern California. Hey, very cool. So, uh, okay, Rob, you did, a good, you, you did a great job. You, you didn't go too far off the rails. I'm very proud of you. Um, Thank you. Uh, so, uh, Mike, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons we wanted to have you on the show. Um, one of them is that uh, you have done some really, you know, high profile work for Marvel over the years, um, but you started out, absolutely like in the indies um you know with uh, slave labor graphics and caliber and tundra um which uh, that's kind of uh, an unusual path for comics creators uh to you know either it, it seems like folks either kind of um they do the mainstream stuff and then they spin out into doing their own creator owned work or they start in the indies and they stay in the indies and they have no interest in you know the kind of the corporate comics um field uh what what kind of motivated you to to start in the indies and and then um, go to work with uh, the larger publishers? <laughs> uh, 
I started in the Indies because I couldn't get a job with the Biggies. So <laughs> fair uh, enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah was uh, so yeah. I just I was just playing in my own playground. Uh, I, I was uh, very uh, well lifelong influenced by you know my childhood heroes, uh, John Buscema and Jack Kirby and Alex Toth and Steve Ditko and you know on and on. Uh, Barry Windsor Smith, huge influence, Mobius. Um, and, but it wasn't until I came across Love and Rockets with the Hernandez brothers that I really got lit up. Because I always drew. I was always drawing, and my older brother, Lee, and I were always uh, making our own comic books. But I never, ever, even for a second, toyed with the idea of doing a professional. I didn't have a clue how to make that happen. I assumed you had to live in New York and you had to know somebody. I, I didn't know how, how to make that happen. So, um, but when I saw Love and Rockets, it was, it, it, it just expanded my brain like nothing else because in this book by three brothers, they did whatever they wanted, mm-hmm. told whatever kind of story they wanted. Love and Rockets was an umbrella title that had all kinds of different stories and genres and, characters and each brother would have a you know just go up with this and then go up with that and and uh it was so exhilarating to find this and and it it really lit me up and showed me that there were no rules that the only real rules to creating were the ones that we impose on ourselves and so that's when i really got serious about making my own stuff and I was uh, was also also a, an aspiring filmmaker. I, I actually was in broadcasting um, as a full-time career before and uh, uh, actually taught television production at the Air Force Academy. And um, while I was there, I started writing a screenplay and I had the idea to storyboard it, thinking that I'd be able to sell it easily by having storyboards to go with the screenplay. And I met... Uh, a guy named Charlie Custis at the Air Force Academy, and we became great friends. We were on a security detail together, and uh, just uh, were talking, and you know had a lot of similar interests. But one interest that he had that I'd abandoned was comic books, and uh, this is because, um, well, long story short, my parents got divorced. My brother uh, moved off with. Uh, my older brother, we had a younger brother too, but he was never really big into comics the way me and Lee were. But Lee and our younger brother, Curtis, went off with our mom and I stayed with dad. And um, I still continued to buy comics, mostly Spider-Man at the time. And then I had a massive crush on Gwen Stacy. <laughs> and then they they killed Gwen Stacy. <laughs> yeah. And I did do not... I, I quit comic books cold turkey right in there. It wow. destroyed me. I couldn't because they'd already killed her father. Mm-hmm. And and that was devastating and heartbreaking. And then to, you know, see Peter trying to save Gwen and her neck snapping. I mean, for a little kid, this that was tr- it was truly traumatic. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. It yeah. traumatized. Yeah. And and so the next time I was at the drugstore, I was like, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to. Uh, spend my money on record albums. So I had a, <laughs> I had a paper route and uh, instead of comics, I just started buying rock magazines and reading about music to figure out what albums I wanted to buy. And then just threw into there. So, um, so years later, 
in the mid to late 80s. In fact, I, I knew exactly when it was because Watchmen still had about uh, two or three issues to go. Wow, yeah. And, and, and Charlie saw that I was an artist and saw my storyboards and said, wow, why, why, why don't you buy comic books? And I was like, uh, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, um, but he was like, dude, you got to see what's happening now. It, things have, have really, the, the, the art form, the medium has just exploded. Mm-hmm. And he showed me everything that was happening in the different formats. And so he, he gave me the Dark Knight Rhythm turns where he had this beautiful square bound prestigious format and uh, he would show he gave me watchman and he also gave me um mr x which was this super glossy very rock and roll looking um comic book that was by the hernandez brothers i remember modern created mr x mm-hmm. but jaime mm-hmm. hernandez uh drew it and uh his brother gilbert and and mario were writing on it and it had like you, it was glossy all the way through. You'd open it up, and the inside front cover and first page was like a double page spread that looked like um, the the credits to a motion picture. Mm-hmm. It just had this super high end look to it, and um, it, it it just really was exciting to see all of these comics. He also gave me a big stack of Frank Miller Daredevils, um, so I was just. Just, he it was like, dude, I know you're going to love this stuff. Look at this. And he just dumped piles and piles of stuff on me that I just, just ate up like crazy. And then we were at a, a comic book store together in Colorado Springs and said, see that dude over there? Um, and I'm like, yeah. And he's like, he's signing his own comics. I'm like, what? And went over there and met uh, my first comics pro, Steve Siegel, who had, uh, had just had his first um book Kafka published yeah. and he was it was in the back of the store and he was signing all the comics and then there'd be a little sign signed comics so this obscure comic book was get moved off the shelves in Colorado Springs <laughs> and so we got to know him and uh, he was living in Boulder at the time we went up there and and he uh his dad coincidentally had the same job at the Air Force Academy that I currently had and so, uh, and then he started giving me a bunch of comics and then he said, uh, knowing that how much Mr. X impressed me, he, he said, if you love Mr. X, you've got to read Love and Rockets. And so he dumped Love and Rockets on me. And at first I was like, oh, these are black and white, you know, like <laughs> new right. printy black and white. Like I want this, you know, bright, colorful stuff. He's like, dude, just read these. And I did. And Wow. There was yeah. no looking back, and that and that turned me on to like Charles Burns and Dan Klaus, and on and on. So, so and and then right then and there, instead of storyboarding my screenplay, I was like, I'm going to make this a comic book, <laughs> and uh, without knowing what tools I should be using, I, I inked it with a rapeograph for crying out loud. So it just had this really scripty, flat, dead line. And, but, but I did it and, and, uh, and not even thinking about where to sell it and stuff and these guys. And so then Steve, uh, said, you know, here, take these, copy these pages, explain what it's about and send it out. And here, here's where you find the addresses and the indicia for these publishers and just send samples out and, you know, you'll get a publisher. Mm-hmm. And, um, so anyway, that, that's how I started to do indie because, uh, I, I was doing my own stuff and as much as I would have loved 
you know, to, to do the X-Men or Daredevil or, or Batman um, and have a clue how to get my foot in that door. And I wouldn't have been ready anyway. Sure, there was sure. a lot of growing. And somebody once said that you've got to, you've got to draw at least 100 ugly pages before you start drawing your first <laughs> good page. Right. And Dead Air is my first hundred ugly pages. But I, I had plenty more ugly pages after that with graphic music. And <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, I, at the start, I just wanted something published that I could, yeah. you know, uh, say, you know, show my folks and, and Laura and our two little kids. And uh, look what look what I did, you know, yeah. just something to put on the shelf and say, I did that. But by the time I finished it and it was uh we got a, a publisher with slave labor. I was so dissatisfied that I was compelled to improve and, and to keep going. And so I created my own love and rockets with the umbrella title, uh, graphic music. We, we were living in Europe by this point. I, I was, uh, sent to Germany where I was a part of a, uh, television news magazine, which mostly covered human interest stories. So I'd be sent all over Europe covering human interest stories like a youth center in Athens or, or a woman that made scale castles in London hmm. and, um, you know, little models. And one place got a, uh, a, a digital golf course. I mean, just w weird little <laughs> stories that would be sent on. And, um, so just, I just kept plugging away and plugging away. And, to, and when we were in Paris, there was a, uh, uh, art supply store, that said graphic and a music store music right next to each other. I thought graphic music, graphic music, that that's what comic books are. They're graphic music. And so with that, I, I used that as a title that I could tell whatever kind of story I wanted to and had, you know, I, I was never uh, locked into one particular story Yeah, and yeah. was able to experiment and just play with it. And, um, but then, uh, Towards the end of 1989, Steve Siegel um, called me up and said, "Hey, I, I got us a gig. It's a it's a 12 issue series for Kamiko, uh, a company which well it went bankrupt. <laughs> yeah, a couple times. <laughs> but, but at the time, um, here was this contract uh, where I was going to. He had a he got he negotiated a really decent uh, page rate for me, and so it was a 12 issue series called Jaguar Stories." And it looked like I would have a year's guaranteed employment. And with that, um, I took the big leap, had a long talk with uh, Laura, and she was completely in support of it. And we pulled up stakes and moved back uh, to the States, to Oregon, which is where we both, Laura's from, uh, she, Laura grew up four miles from Disneyland. And we live in Eugene now, and I, I was born uh, in Roseburg, which is about an hour, hour south of here. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, so we rolled the dice and the last story I did, um, in Europe was covering the fall of the Berlin wall. So wow. it's, it's, it's really odd because again, I was mostly doing kind of fluffy human interest stories, but the first story I did when I arrived there was, uh, uh, was world news where there was an air show. And these two Italian jets collided midair, and one of them piled into the crowd. Oh wow! And 
this happened right before I was sent there and I actually replaced one of the people that died. And my, my first task there, we were tasked to, uh, this is when home video was becoming very popular. And so we gathered all the different, uh, video that, that people were shooting. And so there were just multiple angles of this horrible tragedy. And then the first story I officially did was on a uh, helicopter rescue worker. Wow. So real hardcore stuff getting there, but then, you know, really light, just kind of, Hey, we're going to, we're going to cover a conference in uh, the Eagle's nest. And, you know, so we go to Salzburg and just, just saw, just really took in uh, all of Europe. It was amazing. And then the last story I did was the fall of the Berlin wall and interviewing East German refugees who risked their lives uh, to get over the wall, which initiated the fall. And then, um, as in January of 1990, I, uh, was full on working on Jaguar stories, but also I was, uh, also still working on, uh, uh, graphic music. I did three issues of that. And then, uh, later four issues of, uh, phonetic, uh, the, the, through caliber. And that was graphic music. Mm. But what happened with, uh, Jaguar stories about six months in Oh, and by the way, I should say that, uh, um, Slave Labor Graphics is out of San Jose, California. And th- this this is like where I discovered the seeds of love that, that go throughout the comic book industry, which has been my fuel throughout. The, the, the support that people give to each other, because we're all fans. Yeah. You know, I, I'm a fan of, of so many different creators, and, and it's nice to have their support. And weirdly... Matt Wagner was living in San Jose at the time when we were still in Europe. And uh, Dan Votto, who was the publisher of Slave Labor Graphics, ran a comic book store. And that's where Matt bought his comics. And Dan showed him my my dead air pages, but he also showed um, what he said was a leap that I was taking with Graphique Musique. And he sent me a, a postcard. And it was a mage postcard, and it was like, hey, uh, saw your stuff, really, uh, really impressed. Uh, give me a call sometime. And he, he gave me a phone <laughs> on the postcard. And so one time, I, I, I was like, you know, I'm going to call him. And, and so from uh, Europe, uh, called Matt, and, and uh, he's uh, been one of my best friends in the business ever since. And then since moved to uh, Oregon. where yeah. So we see him quite regularly. We're even a, in a book club with him. Oh, that's so, awesome. Um, yeah, so soon after we moved back to the States, he then moved there because his sister-in-law is Diana Schutz, who used to be an editor at Kamiko, And course, Bob yeah. Shrek was the marketing director there. Um, and then they moved to Dark Horse, and soon I moved to Dark Horse, and it just continued on. And then, uh, so to, to kind of cut through this history, uh, I ultimately came up with Madman, which was my first real commercial success. And with Tundra, which was the publisher that Kevin Eastman created, I always mm-hmm. refer to it as the uh, Apple Records of comics. Because <laughs> I think the way it's the fair. Beatles, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He <laughs> came with uh, Apple and, and tried to you know reach out and help other people with their success. And that's what Kevin did with Tundra mm-hmm. and just gave me this huge boost. And then he kind of lost interest in, in, in it and got frustrated for obvious reasons because w- publishers have to deal with people not turning in the work and meeting de- right. missing deadlines, et cetera. And then he just kind of concentrated on Heavy Metal Magazine, which he uh, he bought. But then that freed me up 
since becoming friends with Bob Shrek, going into Dark Horse, and Bob wanted to be an editor, but he, first he was a uh, marketing director for Dark Horse. And so as he transitioned to editor with me and Frank Miller, his first uh, people that he was being an editor for, yeah, um, he was also our personal marketing director while they were breaking in a new marketing director. And so uh, Bob Shrek and Mike Richardson pretty much took the success that we had at Tundra and quadrupled it at Dark Horse. Wow. So then after that, I, you know, I did Red Rocket 7 and the Atomics and whatnot. And so the, the great blessing of coming in the back door was the established success that I had. So then whenever I would be offered something to do with uh, Marvel or DC or anybody else, I'd already established myself as somebody that knew how to write and draw and will do everything other than color, which then by this point, Laura was doing the coloring for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's my secret weapon. I have the best colorist in the business working <laughs> with me. So, um, but that with that, it was just wonderful. So when, when they brainstormed this big, uh, launch of uh, new X books at Marble, we were like the indie X book with, yeah. uh, you know, revamping X force and then ecstatics and Axel Alonso was our editor and Joe Cusada, who I came up, uh, he was kind of like, uh, few strides ahead of me uh chronologically in, in the business and um so it was and if you remember marvel was kind of on the they were they were swirling the drain they were not doing and, great yeah yep so joe had this success with marvel knights and and then was just kind of like hey you know what hail mary let's 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 see what he can do and 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 he just had this mission to mm -hmm. make it a party and um so I, I with with joe is like hey i want to be i want to play at this party too and he's like oh man we'd love to have you hooked me up with axel alonzo and and axel was like uh, and I, I had worked i had done a short uh, shade the changing man story with peter milligan big fan of his uh, uh when uh, all the stuff he did with brendan mccarthy and mm -hmm. with that um, they had this idea to just completely revamp X-Force and said, you guys can do whatever you want. <laughs> and, and we did. The first thing we did was create a team and killed almost all of them off in the first yeah. issue. <laughs> and, and with, uh, and again, coming from the indie world, you doing just whatever you want and not being told you can't do that or you can't do that. Peter wrote a very graphic script and I drew it as he wrote it. And <laughs> yep. uh, so it was very, very graphic violently. And um, what happened was the comics code authority, if anybody can remember what that was, rejected <laughs> the book. And I, so I, uh, Axel and Joe called me up and said, uh, okay, first of all, I've got to tell you the comics code rejected the book. And so I, of course I'm thinking, okay, I have to redraw all of these uh, gory scenes. And, and then they immediately said, but guess what? You don't have to change a thing. We're leaving the code. And yeah. um, so our was the first full-on um, book without the code. They, I mean, they've done a uh, – there was like a Spider-Man without the code. and Right. Mm -hmm. It had happened before. But this was like full-on, no, the end. We're never using the code again. Yeah, and man. so it, and it all started with uh, X Force One Seventeen, and if you watch uh, Deadpool Two and you see our character Zeitgeist, he has a tattoo <laughs> that says One Seventeen, and that's what that that's what that symbolizes.
So there's me going off on a tangent to explaining uh, <laughs> my history as quick as I could because from there it's just been a, just a wonderful uh, trip working with the best people to collaborate with I could ever dare to collaborate with, and it's just been a dream. Oh, oh yeah. we yeah, and we we have enjoyed the ride one hundred percent. Yeah, I it, I think uh, just some of the things you you hit on being uh, born and raised in Portland. I I you know ran into I was I love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Went to Pegasus uh, comic store, so I talked to Mike and Bob to pick things up. And uh, as Dark Horse was starting, and then I was just like a kid, like sixteen, and. Um, and then, so I was, I was cued into, um, the Tundra Madman version really early. So again, it's been like one of the things that just kept me in comics, but like, I just hearing all these names from my past <laughs> is awesome. But then, you know, we, we, in 1990, we went to our first, uh, uh, Comic-Con, which was the last Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con that was at the, uh, building, like it's an old convention center before, and so in 91, it moved into the place it is now. Mm-hmm. And then for the next 10 years, we went to every single San Diego Comic-Con. And every year, they would open up another section and another section. It just got massively bigger and bigger and bigger. till finally in uh, 2000, um, we were there our, our, uh, this indie movie, G-Men from Hell, based on my early uh, graphic music comics, was premiered there. And um, and that that was like the... Last time we, I think we, after that would start going every couple of years or so because it just became too overwhelming. But the best thing about the shows is that's where we've made our, you know, our best friends, you know, mm-hmm. um, being, being in the legend group and um, it, it's just so great to, and, and that what those first 10 years of the show and watching that grow, we would all hang out with each other and see each other and spend time together. And it became almost impossible because we'd all just get pulled in different directions. Um, but we, we still continue to, you know, meet and make, you know, new friends and see old friends. And it just keeps growing and growing. And it, it's always wonderful to see, you know, familiar faces. And uh, it really is uh, like the broadcast industry is kind of cutthroat. You know, you're mm-hmm. everybody is after your job and you're trying to, you know, it, it, with comics, it, it just really feels like, and, and maybe I'm naive, I don't think so, but it feels like everybody's cheering everybody on. You know, yeah. everybody everybody just loves this art form so much and just want to see it grow and, and, and be successful and, and with more and more wonderful stories and new wonderful ways to tell stories. So I've never regretted that when we rolled the dice and decided to make a career out of this, it's, we've never had to look back. That's awesome. fantastic. And and I hear what you're saying about the sense of community. I mean, like honestly, so we started this show up a couple years ago, almost exactly two years ago. And, you know, if, if we didn't have this to do during the whole pandemic, um, I, I, you know, this is a way for us to like reach out and connect with people and like, you know, make new friendships and, and, keep up old ones. Um, and, and it's just been fantastic. There really is something about the comics community, um, where like there, there are so few of us who really get this stuff. Um, and when you find someone who really gets it, you just want to like, 
latch onto them and not let go. <laughs> so, I, I love yeah. seeing the names. I was I popped open uh, Red Rocket Seven just to to look at it again recently and realized this this copy I had. Uh, Joe Keating was like the marketing uh, <laughs> director on this. Oh yeah, and Joe is on all the time and. So uh, he's one of our very first like professional guests. So uh, just that <laughs> that whole network. Yeah. Joe's a member of the Joe's an honorary member, an honorary All Red. We've actually uh, we'll let him come on stage uh, and play the tambourine <laughs> when, when the gear is performing. <laughs> nice. Uh, but uh, yeah, he was he he uh, pushed uh, the forty five edition of Red Rocket Seven because originally it was LP sized, and Jamie mm. Rich was the uh, editor. Um, then, and that's that's right after Bob Shrek left to co-form uh, Oni Press. And Jamie's been my editor on most of my career-owned stuff ever since. Well, until he got his big job at DC now, so not so much. But, mm-hmm. but then I haven't really, I haven't done a lot of, uh, uh, you know, Daniel Chabon was my most recent editor on X-Ray Robot, and he he's fantastic. I've just been so lucky. Tom Brevoort at F Marvel with Silver Surfer and. I, I I love all the editors I've been able to work with. I got to work with Diana Schutz for a while, who's just a just a she's royalty, man. Yeah, she's a force. I, it, yeah, she's great. Oh, I could just sit down and listen to her talk. She's always ah, uh, she's just yeah. got so much going on in that brain of hers. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Well, this has been fantastic. We should probably talk about some comics here uh since <laughs> yeah, that's the premise that. of our show <laughs> yeah yeah uh, you 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 said go up on tangents if you feel inclined and i i warned you yeah i, I warned you thank you for taking full advantage we appreciate it um rob i'm gonna kick this <laughs> off to you uh you can get us started with uh the first book that we're going to be talking about uh, sure. on this episode yeah so as we march through time mike this is the first episode of our sixth season and, and as Brian mentioned, it covers the comics that hit stands between September 1968, June 1970. That's the whole season. Um, so it's basically going to cover Jack Kirby's last two years at Marvel uh, before he heads over okay. to, D- to DC. Um, so we, we sort of, Brian plan, plans these arcs for our seasons um, as we, you know, we do this one month of publishing history at a time every week so we've been our we started our book club on a whim and are now you know a couple of years into uh like 700 you know marvel comics but uh so we're gonna talk a little bit about um the influence kirby had on your work i know you mentioned him right off right out of the gate but before we jump into fantastic four um and obviously your work has a lot of the the qualities of this era of comics so, so what, you know, could you talk a little bit about Kirby before we jump into the comic itself? Um, it, it's, it's, he was just always there. Um, the, the best thing that ever happened to me as far as starting up to where I ended up now is having Lee for an older brother. Mm. Um, he's literally a genius, just the brightest human being I've ever met in my life. And um, a huge comic book fan and also the best taste of anybody that I've ever known. Um, And he knows everything about everything. Uh, The only other person I've ever met that could uh, take him on trivia wise would be Mark Wade. Oh, wow. 
just a, a the, both of their, these guys have like encyclo, encyclopedic knowledge of comic books in their in their heads, and so Lee's every time I've worked with him, he just knows connect here, connect there, um, I, 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 and we were able to do uh, one of my easily top ten, maybe top five favorite things I've ever done was this series called Bug: The Adventures of Forger, which is our new God's book. So t- kind of taking a, a leap chronologically from where we're talking about Jack Kirby's career today, but New Gods, uh, I just love it endlessly. And I always thought Bug was, and in fact, Bug was my introduction to New Gods because we took guitar lessons at James Ray Studios downtown in Roseburg and in his waiting room, he had comics and he had Bug number nine or New Gods number nine with the first appearance of Bug. And, and we, we would beg, can we have this? Can we have this? And he's like, nope. Um, and finally, and so we would only ever get to read it when we were there. And then finally he, he Lee talked him into it and we, we got it. But, uh, cause back then there were comics shops and if you missed a comic, that was it. You know, right. you, there were, there wasn't eBay or anything to, to find it again. So they really were these treasures. And it was the same with, uh, all of Jack Kirby stuff. Cause, um, you know, we every time we would uh, leave the house, if, if we went to the park, if we if we went to the swimming hole, if, you know, if there was a family picnic, we always got to uh, stop off and buy a bunch of comics. You know, if we went to the coast, the back seat would be full of comics. <laughs> and um, early on, I would buy stuff like Hot Stuff or Casper the Friendly Ghost, and 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 which I would then read and no time and then mm-hmm. i would look over what lee got and was like i wish i'd gotten that <laughs> and so what i found was i the the it was always the treat to go into his room and dig through his stack because because he truly had the best stuff and so finally my tastes were refined and with the marvel comics you got to know who did the books because mm-hmm. their names were there you know king kirby or Jolton Joe Sinnott, you know, it's just, you'd got to know who did the lettering and, and, uh, did the inking and who the, and, and so you got to know them. And, um, we were also, I, I think Lee might lean a little more towards DC. I always leaned a little more Marvel. Um, but we pretty much loved everything Marvel and DC did. Um, obviously we had our favorites, uh, but I just felt like I knew the guys that were making um, the Marvel comics. Mm-hmm. You know, you knew who they were, and then the way Stanley's greatest talent was the way he talked everybody up and made you feel like um, you were part of it. Yeah, and I, I always loved that, and and in many ways, it still feels that way. You know, like Tom Brevard, who's who's been my editor on several things and through all of the Silver Surfer book. Um, I just, even though I've spent less than probably less than 10 hours with him in person, mm-hmm. I just feel like he's, he's, he's one of the most important people in my life. Yeah. And, and that's how it felt with these comic books. And, uh, so Jack Kirby w- was just this, everything he did popped. It just exploded off the page. And and then when you'd get somebody like Joe Sinnott inking him, the women were gorgeous. 
Yeah. Uh, Joe had a way of making Kirby's women just look beautiful. And we were uh, talking about Fantastic Four 81. And uh, I already mentioned how I crushed on Gwen Stacy. I also crushed on Medusa. and <laughs> But I really crushed on, on uh, Crystal. <laughs> so gorgeous. And um, and and I loved the romance with with Crystal and Johnny Storm, and always wanted them to get together. This is the the thing. I, as as much as I love the DC stuff, I don't re- remember ever w- worrying about the relationships or being invested in the relationships. Right. Mm-hmm. And you really did with with this stuff, and especially Kirby stuff. And and I can say that Kirby's run on Fantastic Four is my favorite run that anybody's ever done on on anything ever you know barry windsor smith's run on conan is up there um you know uh, uh frank miller on daredevil but kirby the the hundred plus issues he did of fantastic four i just i just eat him up i yeah i love him so much i love the the family and the, the squabbles and this particular issue where uh right off the bat you got crystal um, because Sue has just had Franklin. They, I mean, and how's that? Back in the day, that was incredibly rare for a major character to, you know, go on maternity leave. Yeah, yeah. And, I can't. I can't think of another comics character who had given birth at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so Crystal's like talking to Johnny. Hey, uh, you know, I, I think uh, I'd be perfect to fill in for her. And they're they're like, nah, and and it, it's. So of course she proves herself by destroying all the furniture. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. then they get they they go on this they then uh, uh, the wizard comes in and uh, uh, and uh, Crystal pretty much steps up and saves the day and and so there's this I, I'm a huge fan of women I love women and I want them not only I, I it just kills me that to this day that they're that women don't have equal rights, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and with, uh, with income or, and, and any number of things. I, and so here we are back in the sixties and, and crystal steps up and, uh, Stan and Jack, you know, make this case for her, you know, and, yeah. and yeah. she earns yeah. the respect of these other guys and, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> becomes a part of the team. It's, it's really powerful stuff. And way ahead of its time, which they were on so many different things. Uh, when when you see the Black Panther movie and you see Stan and Jack with, you know, created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Yeah. I mean, holy cow. It, 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 this is just, uh, these guys just did the most amazing things. And I, I'm, as much as I love Stan Lee and, and the success of Marvel could not have happened without him. I don't think the other guys get anywhere near the, the credit that they need for what mm-hmm. they did, whether it's Ditko or John Romita or John Basema or you, you know, what have you. I mean, there, there's a story about how Jack Kirby, uh, it, it, it's just cold, hard fact that he created Silver Surfer yes. independently. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, but then later on, sure enough, Stan would step up and claim to have co-created Silver Surfer. So there you go, you know. Yeah. That, but that was his thing. He, he was a showman, and it was all about bluster and and getting everybody pumped up. And and uh, so retrospectively, he he took great uh, ownership of, of everything. <laughs> but, yes. <laughs> uh, but when I look at this run, it, it, 
I just can't, can't, he's in my DNA. Jack Kirby is just deep in my DNA. I have a lot of other big influences, but he, he probably arguably is my biggest influence. That that's what, uh, my brother and I argued over this quite a bit, but when, uh, you know, who your biggest influence was my younger brother, Steve. And, um, we, we, when we finally looked at the old Senate inked, fantastic four stuff and as brian and i have gone through them on this podcast it's just so clear because some of these lines i mean in this issue it looks like some of it was kind of rushed but um but there's a lot of pages where the you know senate has such a strong inking line around everything and it feels a lot like that's part of the style that you see in in madman or atomics or other things that you've done um and and just how the characters are and seeing your run on FF was, was like, uh, I, I reread it as we were reading these early issues and it just felt like it family perfectly. It was great. Um, you yeah. know, not, not like it was Jack, but it was, you know, like, it was so like it, it was, it fit in that time. And see there, there again with FF, uh, just infinite love for Matt Fraction and and there on that Tom Brevoort was uh was our editor and we even we, we all ended up in the actual comic book as ourselves uh, yes. so I drew Tom <laughs> and Matt and myself and um that's the fun of this this stuff and and so I just have this great affection but uh Dick Ayers uh, Senate Senate would be again I just think he made Kirby stuff beautiful mm, but yeah. Dick Ayers uh uh, Chick Stone. Uh, there's so many editors uh, or inkers that I celebrate on on Kirby stuff, um, but Dick Ayers had a real juicy line. Like Senate had a a slick, he had a way of just kind of making everything slick and pretty. Mm-hmm. Ayers had this juicy, just kind of uh, uh, organic vibe to it, which I really love. This thick line, and um, so he's a he's a big influence too. Yeah. Um, and oh, by the way. Uh, Again, Tom Brevoort and uh, Kurt Busiek wrote uh, Untold Tales of Spider-Man and, and invited me to do the annual uh, where it was Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, and uh, Neymar. Um, and uh, they got Joe Sinnott to ink me. Uh, oh, yeah. I need to look at that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sure, I have it somewhere in the box. But yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that is magical. Um well, yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's get, um, let's just sort of, you've almost given us the synopsis I was going to run through on Fantastic Four 81, <laughs> um, but uh, it's called Enter the Exquisite Elemental. And again, by Stanley Jack Kirby with Joe Sinnott. Um, and yes, at, you know, the uh, invisible girl, uh, Sue is who just had a child. We still don't know the child's name. Um, and, and Crystal is making the case for joining the team and has made her own costume. Uh, my favorite, yeah. <laughs> my favorite line after Crystal destroys the furniture in the room is when Johnny is telling her the important thing is taking orders, keeping yourself under strict control. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's just hilarious to me uh, because I would think after after destroying the house, that, <laughs> yes. That would have- taking her completely out of consideration yeah but again but johnny has done that fantastic for yeah right i mean yeah. we know how, how much furniture ben Grimm has destroyed and <laughs> it, it's all good yeah that's and part of the wealthy. deal 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so they a little bit on the truck ready to be loaded up. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking there could be a whole story about just the people supplying furniture for, um, you know, the Baxter yeah. building. Um, so uh, the 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 other main points are wingless wizard. <laughs> we still like to say the wingless. Um, he he made a better pair of wonder gloves. Uh, and that is what <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> put him over. Um, <laughs> so, um, and yep. he runs, runs around destroying things, uh, to show how great his new wonder gloves are. Um, but not only are those new gloves wonderful, they're also capable of taking away the old ones from the fantastic four. They just <laughs> <laughs> Self-replacing and, and, gloves. <laughs> and then when he, what cracked me up is, uh, when he gets tossed in the water and they, they, decide well he couldn't have drawn he couldn't have drowned well first of all i could hit him as hard as i did because he had a helmet that would protect him from serious injury <laughs> and i'm sure he didn't drown because of his helmet it's like is it his helmet doesn't have a face mask on it <laughs> yeah i they they also proved that because he uh is breathing a gas that crystal makes uh, at a different point in the story. So obviously there's no face plate on his mask. No. So yeah. They're, they're, that, just, they're just being optimistic because they don't want to think of themselves as murderers. Right. Right. <laughs> and nobody wants to go in there. You know, they're like, well, he's, he's in the river. It's really gross in there. So much great stuff. <laughs> I, I'm looking through this and like page 11 with that great splash page with the fantastic car. And um, I just love how you always, Every time, every time I'm in uh, Manhattan, I can't help but think that I'm where these guys run around. Yeah, it, it, yeah. I, I'll never think of New York without without not thinking of Fantastic Four and Spider Man. You know, I agree. I agree. The first time I came out of Grand Central Station, I was just looking around for where Spidey would be swinging. Uh, yep, it, that's the same deal. Um, well, when I was a kid, that's the only way I would have even known or I've heard of New York is having read Marvel comics. Mm -hmm. Yep. And Maybe. that's they're all right there, saving it and ruining it at the same time. <laughs> over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> so, yeah, this I mean, that's pretty much the story. It ends with Reed apologizing for doubting Crystal, which he almost never does because Reed's not the nicest man at this point in his uh character arc uh and right. but they officially make crystal a member of the fantastic four so um i, I love i love this this last panel uh, uh forgive me for ever even doubting you and now by the authority vested in me by nobody in particular <laughs> <laughs> i most warmly welcome you to the rollicking ranks of the fabulous freewheeling fantastic four so that's about as upbeat as reed richards has ever ever been Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And then they all link arms like they're about to go down the yellow brick road together. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> That's right. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, well, let's go ahead uh, and take a break. Um, and then when we come back, we'll check in with uh, what the Avengers were up to this month uh, here on Marvel by the Month. Okay, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. The next issue we're going to talk about is Avengers number 58. The story is called Even an Android Can Cry. It's written by Roy Thomas, art by John Buscema uh, and George Klein. 
Uh, Mike, were you or are you uh, a big Avengers guy? Uh, do you have a favorite era of the Avengers? Oh, this is it. Oh, this, nice. This is my favorite era. Yeah, I uh, I eat this up. Um, the, the, in fact, probably my favorite John Buscema seven. I well, I can say without hesitation that uh, the cover to issue fifty seven, the issue before this, is one of my all time favorite covers. Yes, period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Vision has been one of my favorite characters. I I the WandaVision series was like just ice cream for me. I, yeah. I just ate it up, man. I, I love this stuff. I, I love Paul Bettany as the vision. I love his design. He looks so cool. All those weird little lines in his face and stuff. So, you know, I eat this stuff up and, and this particular issue, it, it, it's funny because if we, when we talk about the silver surfer issue, there's something I, I never really put it together before, but vision and silver surfer are very similar. Yeah, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they they kind of have the same demeanor, and seeing John Buscema drawing both of them, you know, rereading these two issues uh, so close together, it was like holy cow! They're they're and I wonder because I know the artists have a lot of input, and uh, mm-hmm. so I'm thinking John Buscema, um, the way he's drawing the uh, the characters, and he. Be, he because the other characters don't look as somber as the vision looks and, mm. and the way, uh, you know, Norrin Red does. So it, it's just something that I, that I kind of noticed, yeah. but I love this. And, and it's, uh, again, being a big fan of the, uh, the Marvel movies, which just, it's, what a track record. I know. Yeah. I'm so glad. I, they I, did I've that. loved every film and I've, I've, the, uh, totally digging Falcon and winter soldier. I, it's, I, I can't, if you told little Mike that someday you would have these amazing state of the art, number one box office in the world movies of my favorite characters, I would have thought you were crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yet here we are. This is the era we get to live in. And this particular issue, um, even, even though, uh, you know, we got Hank, Hank Pym here instead of Scott Lang and, and the, the, the old Ultron thing. But it, 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 it's uh, we find out it's all generated from Hank Pym mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to uh, Tony Stark and Jarvis. I love that whole stuff, by the way. Yeah. Jarvis becomes uh, the vision in the films. But uh, so it was really fun revisiting this issue, um, having just completely. Uh, and, and I'm almost always rewatching the Marvel films um, because I'm wanting to be uh, having everything fresh. So. Like with WandaVision, I so I rewatch them again, and mm-hmm. and then uh, and now with uh, Falcon Winter Sword, Soldier, I wanted to watch that stuff again. And the and um, just as an aside, Winter Soldier is one of my. It, it's such a tight film. Yes, it's it, it, it so solid. I, I as fun it is as it is with the Infinity War or Endgame to just see everybody just flying all over, you know, in the in the same shot. I really love how lean and mean winter soldier is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I love, I love the team stuff, but I also love it when you break off and you just kind of, uh, get more intimate with somebody. And that's what I really, really, really loved about silver surfer. And of course we'll be talking about that later, but with this, I just love revisiting the stuff and, and seeing all the seeds of, uh, Ultron and, and, uh, the vision and, and just how incredibly, 
He's one of these characters that's almost too powerful, the way that Captain Marvel is almost too powerful, the way right. Superman is almost too powerful. Uh, but man alive, I, 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 I'm sorry to jump ahead, but I mean, the, 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 the issue is called even an Android can cry. Yeah. And that last, that last page with that tear running down an Android's face, that's as iconic and, and moving as, as anything I can remember reading back in the day. Yeah, it does hit and it it still works, honestly, like, you know, it's not something where time has really diminished it at all. I mean, so the whole issue is building to the question of are the Avengers going to let Vision become a member of the team? Um, and which is crazy. Which which is crazy because he he just showed up one issue ago. He attacked them. Uh, he's been it, they they know that he was created by Ultron, uh, who is the newest, yeah. biggest, baddest villain that they're they're facing. Um, he doesn't even know exactly what his own deal is. Uh, and it, it's great. What? Like the, the current Avengers are all the, the current Avengers are like, yeah, this is fine. No, he's probably fine. And then the, <laughs> the old guys, you know, Thor and Iron Man and Cap show up and they're like, you know what? Uh, we, we brought the Hulk in on a whim and that didn't turn out great <laughs> for us. So it's like, maybe you want to be a little more careful. <laughs> How is that ever a good idea? But I mean, we're on, we're on page three and vision says, I wish to become an Avenger. Yeah. I mean, just, he, so he may not know who he is or where he came from, but he knows he wants to be an Avenger. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's crazy. I forgot. He's Wonder Man. Yeah. He, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the way, the way he's Jarvis in the films, he's Simon Williams in the comic. Yes. I, mm-hmm. I only forgot that. Yeah, the vision is the result of Henry Pym's experiments in trying to create artificial life, which, uh, man, everything that that Hank Pym touches in this era just does not turn out great. Uh, But he he accidentally creates the thing that will become Ultron, uh, which attacks him in his lab uh, and then erases his memory and says, forget about this lab. Uh, And then it goes about creating vision and then it it uh it implants the memory tapes of simon williams's memories uh into the vision so he's an artificial man with artificial memories um but like he's complete enough you know like uh for the avengers to say it's like yeah this will work this is fine um you know stan gets a lot of credit for for telling these really philosophical stories but i think Roy Thomas sometimes um, really digs into what is the measure of a man kind of question. Yeah. What is it to oh, be? He's, yeah, he's, so existential. I got to say, yeah. he's, he's, he's one of my favorite writers ever. Because, yeah. uh, you know, of course he wrote those uh, Conan books, which I love so much. But this is when, you know, this whole ki- comics are for kids stuff. I, I I tell you, I learned how to read from comic books because I, I want, before I ever had a class before I ever went to school, mm-hmm. I knew how to read because again, I, these books that Lee had, and I wanted to know what these people were saying to each other. Mm-hmm. And for years I thought the word puny was punny. So punny this <laughs> and punny that. Cause they never, I, I nobody was reading these things to me. Sure. But yep. <laughs> right here, um, Hank refers to a mechanized Oedipus complex. Yeah. Are you kidding me? And yeah. then later he even he makes a reference or uh, Haka makes a reference to Methuselah. Yes. <laughs> I, this is exactly I say this to my friends all the time. I, I did the same thing. I was reading X-Men in the late 70s as a as a kid. My dad collected comics, too. And 
uh, and everything, like everything I learned about literature, everything I learned, uh, you know, about philosophy and anything came from me seeing something I didn't quite get in a comic and then pursuing that. Like, I think I read Plato's Republic because it was mentioned by Ozymandias offhand at some point. In I'm an Ozymandias! The... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let alone... It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, any, any teacher, well, one of my very best friends is an English professor at the University of Oregon, um, Professor Ben Saunders. He curates, he, he curated the Marvel, the traveling Marvel exhibit that's, yes. uh, that's going around now. Um, brilliant guys from, from Wells. So he teaches Shakespeare, but he also teaches courses at the university in comic books. And, um, I sat in a whole semester, uh, 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 one time just to get all of his, uh, classes. And, um, he would have, you know, uh, uh, Brian Michael Bendis would come down from Portland to, to talk in the class. And, um, again, another great guy who's one of our dear friends, um, it, it, it it's stunning to me this whole because when I was a kid, there really was this prejudice against comics, and because of what happened with Dr. Frederick Wortham and whatnot. Sure. But my dad, who was a psychologist, never hesitated to to, to load us up with comic books. Uh, in fact, I, I've told this story way too many times, but one of my most my earliest early memories was um, uh, waking up in the hospital with a concussion. And comic books blanketing the hospital bed um, because it turns out I was uh, up on a card table and my brother wanted me to uh, dance and started shaking the table. Oh no! <laughs> and I I ended up on my head uh, unconscious and then woke up in the hospital and uh, showing how things have changed. The uh, gift shop in the hospital had comic books <laughs> and Lee talked mom and dad into buying me a bunch of comic books, which he'll admit to you now they were actually for him but hey, here's, <laughs> hey let's get him some comic books but um so my earliest solid memory is is just being literally covered with comic books and so i'm so <laughs> grateful that my dad again a psychologist knew the value in them and i really believe that if there wasn't this weird prejudice against them that like again if if you just drop this particular issue on a kid mm -hmm. there's something that they they just look at all the art and just go this is this is cool this just looks super cool there's yeah. the, there's thor there's iron man you know there's captain american black panther and then just getting into what they're reading and then the next thing you know they're learning about methuselah and what a, and what's the what's the, the oedipus <laughs> complex so <laughs> it's just amazing they never hesitated Oh, they were never shy about throwing in some really deep intellectual stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and some challenging concepts too, like, like toward the end, uh, you know, uh, Hank Pym is making his case for why the vision should be accepted into the Avengers. He says, is a man any less human because he has an artificial leg or a transplanted heart? The five original Avengers yeah. included an Asgardian immortal and a green skin tormented behemoth. We ask merely a man's worth, not the accident of his condition, which, I mean, also plays really well into, you know, the the civil, civil rights, rights struggle yeah. and, and, you know, all the issues of right. the day, you know? So it's like, this is some really heady stuff. And it's, you know, 
you you have some college kids you know reading this right now but i mean the majority of the folks reading this you know they're they're kids they're they're young teenagers they're you know tweens they're you know and and just you like you did i mean can you imagine the fireworks that are just going off in a kid's head as they're reading this it's incredible yeah yeah and obviously the the, the comics have become even way more sophisticated than this uh you 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 could be in a hard argument trying to convince a snob that this is sophisticated stuff but uh, <laughs> um but the art form has progressed dramatically and mm-hmm. you have really rich deep storytelling um as as much as i love this you know it it, it looks and, and reads very primitively than what you'll read a lot today of course mm-hmm. but it's there's so much to celebrate. And I mean, it, it, I love how Hank keeps trying to coin the synthes, synthes, synth, synthesoid. Yes. <laughs> it never really it never caught on. Yeah. <laughs> Although I did find when I was uh, sending a text to Rob that it is in uh, my iPhone's autocorrect. So either I've used that word a lot and it learned <laughs> it or it was part of the dictionary. So I don't know. Maybe Ultron got nice. it. I don't know. I think I feel like uh, it might have been there's there's all these things with sci-fi with like and these same themes like Asimov's, you know, robots and artificial intelligence. And and I feel like there's some point where these some of these words uh, do like get into science fiction as well. And then that becomes, you know, they, they just feeds on itself. So I love it when I love it that your phone knows synthesoid. <laughs> also, your phone is is an artificial intelligence so there you go <laughs> there you go <laughs> when we when we were kids you know it was all about robots now it's all about droids right you know droid is droid is what you would refer to as a, a most people refer to as a roi, uh, robot in uh in science fiction but the problem with synthesoid is it's hard to say <laughs> it is <laughs> remarkably yeah <laughs> Well, uh, uh, switching gears a little bit, uh, Rob, would you be so kind as to take us through Amazing Spider-Man number 67? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I want to make sure we we get a, you know, we be mindful of your time, Mike. So keep things rolling. Yeah, th- th- this is go, go ahead. This is just this is just uh, this one's just a party. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, so this one's uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 67. Uh it's called To Squash a Spider. It's written by Stan Lee, art by John Romita and Jim Mooney. Um, and it picks up right where the previous issue left off. The cliffhanger from Amazing Spidey 66 was that Mysterio uh, seemed to have shrunk Spider-Man down to a height of six inches and trapped him on a scale model diorama of an amusement park uh, <laughs> with Mysterio towering above him. So on that episode, uh, Dan McCoy from the Flophouse podcast, who seemed very concerned about whether or not this was one of Mysterio's tricks. And we hope you're listening, Dan. Sorry for making you wait a month (laughs) for the exciting (laughs) conclusion. Um, So, yeah, we see the first few pages. We see Spidey leaping and dodging to avoid a gigantic Mysterio arm um, just and a giant. He actually sees a gigantic Mysterio towering over him. So I. I honestly didn't remember how this one went either, but of course it's Mysterio, so you assume uh, this is some kind of uh, special effects game, but he's so good. Um, So whenever Spidey gets close to Mysterio, he vanishes in a puff of smoke, um, and Mysterio says it's because he wants to drive Spidey crazy before he defeats him. And that's that's where he starts to clue in. So it's just Spider-Man just jumping around 
<laughs> like for real, uh, uh, just pages and pages. And with a brief little jump over to um, Aunt May, just to check in and remind everyone that Aunt May is extremely <laughs> fragile. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Her, her job is just to be on the, the brink of death at all times. Yeah. Just to provide that other, you know, foil for poor Peter Parker. And, uh, and we even get a little visit into uh, <laughs> uh, the Daily Bugle office where um, because Mysterio had announced that uh, that he was a challenging Spider-Man in the news and then both of them disappear. So Jonah is really mad that there's no story uh, <laughs> and he and Robbie are having a conversation about it. <laughs> Um, and there's a little cameo with the Stacys. Yeah, we get the Stacys as well. So it's just like it, two, two whole panels, which which is so funny. Like I, as we go back and reread these Spider-Man comics, I I have these memories of the supporting cast taking up a lot more of the book than they really do. Um, but really, it's only just like a couple pages each issue, like total if you add up all the panels but they're just like Ramita is so clever with the way he paces all this stuff out it feels like Peter has the the, the supporting cast that surrounds Peter Parker is like they're always up to something um and yeah, uh, yeah it, it, and he does it really really efficiently it's it's an amazing trick it really is efficient is the word because I mean you you just even with this uh, little thing with uh, Betty going out with Ned. I mean, you just you just you it it enriches the, it, it just deepens everything. Yeah, and it's just one panel. So and then the doctor is kind of a jerk. He keeps ragging on Peter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that seemed a, a little unusual that he and that Aunt May won't hear it. Um, she will. I mean, if if he wants to. A rag on spider-man then she will definitely join in on that but not for peter um yeah aunt may is the original fox news audience <laughs> yeah she's, she's oh willing to believe doc ock and J. jonah jameson <laughs> it, it's amazing what as fragile as she is everything that she survived i i really it's a breath of fresh air to get the cinematic sexy version of her but um in fact this this again uh this ties into the most recent Marvel films with, mm-hmm. with Mysterio. Yes. And I, when watching uh, Spider-Man far from home, uh, I, I was convinced about, you know, it, until you, it was revealed what we suspected all along, Jake Gyllenhaal really sold it. I thought, wow, they're going to play this different and actually make Mysterio a hero. Right. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, I bought into it. And uh, then, sure enough, it, he's he's the jerk we always uh, he always was in the comics. But... <laughs> yeah. Well, because they they had thrown us a curveball with the scrolls in Captain Marvel. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, so, yeah. You know, like it was man. They're very they're very clever. They're too clever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, Dick Gyllenhaal. You know, there, there was always uh, rumors that he was going to be Peter Parker back in the day, and right. And so I, I was actually really enjoying him as Mysterio, and I liked his relationship with Peter. And I'm thinking, dang, how cool would that be if we get a Mysterio movie? You know, and they totally resell him. And, mm-hmm. and I was in, into it. And then, of course, he, he turns out to be the villain. But um, I, it was really fun to revisit this stuff and, you know, the, the origins of these characters, which are now – because these were always like – Secret. It always felt like this stuff was, were our secret little 
things, you know, these uh, comic books that the rest of the world weren't aware of. And the success of the Marvel films has just turned that inside out. Now everybody's a household name. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember I was actually uh, working on a, a Mad, the Madman screenplay living in Manhattan Beach with my collaborator when Iron Man 1 was being filmed. And uh, my collaborator, George Huang, who uh, is a filmmaker himself, but also works on all Robert Rodriguez's movies, he like knows everybody. And um, was talking about how, oh yeah, John Favreau. We went by and like John Favreau's in there wake, making uh, Iron Man movie. And and even then, I was thinking, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. We right. all thought that just from all of the things like you know the Judge Dredd movie and the and I mean I thought the Tim Burton Batman movie was fine, but there was there were so many misses. Every time they tried, it um it just just didn't make it and. We, in fact, oh, but, they hit it on they this Marvel Cinematic Universe. They've done everything right. It's amazing. Yeah, oh, it is. It is amazing. I I remember we were in uh, living in Europe when Batman came out, and everywhere you went, I every major city in Europe had had the big Bat logo up on billboards and stuff. And it was so watching that. Even when I watched it then, I was so thrilled to to see this big budget Tim Burton Batman movie. But and then like, why in the world do they did they design the suit where he can't even turn his neck? You know, <laughs> right. he, he can't even. He has to move his whole body to look around because Batman is supposed to be agile and quick and athletic. <laughs> and, and here they turn him in. They made this whole armor thing. It became more about body armor, but. Uh, so we look back and it's, it feels kind of quaint then, but I remember how thrilling it was that the world was embracing a comic book film. And, uh, but, but wow, with Iron Man and ever since John Favreau has become one of my heroes. Cause I, oh, I'm man, the Mandalorian. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. In fact, we were, we were going, the next comic con we were going to was going to be Seattle, uh, it, uh, last March. Mm-hmm. And I, I had over, several months put together this screen accurate Mandalorian costume. And I was just going to walk the whole show, you know, with the helmet on and, and then w- show up on my panel and take the helmet off. You know, I was all <laughs> pumped about it. And, and, and then it, uh, yeah. Then, ev- then the world stopped. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Fabro. Wow. I, th- that whole, uh, the technology that he came up with and how they can, where they're actually in the environments that, we're seeing uh, that's just amazing yeah yeah, yeah. uh speaking and you can uh, trace it all back to here this guy who directed swingers has become this you know the the new george lucas just riding the wave of you know technical break breakthroughs and and with our beloved this stuff which is ours yeah, yeah. we own yeah. this this is this is this is our lifeblood these comic book characters that we love so much and um and seeing it all be expanded and and of course i could go on and on about star wars too uh, th- those are comic books and star wars you know it's, it's my great passion but uh um i and i kind of lost I, I lost a lot of my enthusiasm for star wars over the years always the the first film will always remain my favorite in, in fact it's still um the 1977 film is still the greatest movie going experience I've ever had in my life. And the Mandalorian brought it all back. Yeah. It brought it all back. And, and, and now I'm just crazy enthusiastic about all of it. Even the stuff, which I was not enthusiastic about 
now has little things in it that I get excited about. And it's just really crazy how, how that happens. And here, um, and so here we're looking at this Spider-Man comic that again, from my childhood is this thing that only I knew of and a few of my friends and my, of course my older brother. And now the whole world knows who Mysterio is. <laughs> yeah. The, I feel that. Yeah. I, I agree. It's like, it's this thing that was the secret that we all had when we were young. Um, that Star Wars was different, I think, because I mean, I saw Empire in the theater and opening night of Return of the Jedi for me was my favorite movie, movie going experience just because I was a little, uh, you know, it was people yelling and running down the aisle and you just clapping <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Just uh, that I'd oh, never I seen that before. Tell you, <laughs> I have to tell you between 1980 and 1983, freezing Han Solo and Carbonite and leaving that cliffhanger. Those were the longest three years of my entire life. <laughs> I agree. I, th I think I had wrath of Khan around there and that I did love that too. I love, you know, I'm, I'm star agnostic. So like star Trek and star Wars, <laughs> uh, in equal measures. I have a star Wars disco ball next to, uh, the Federation symbol that somebody made out of like fine molding, that for me that sings <laughs> on the wall yeah i actually have a, actually have a t-shirt which has that uh, that early uh, hildebrandt brothers star wars poster on the shirt and um but where it's supposed to say star wars it says star trek <laughs> <laughs> i love that goof and yeah. the reaction the reactions i get when i wear that it, it, it actually pisses people off <laughs> yeah <laughs> They they think I'm a raging idiot that got some bootleg shirt and don't know what I'm don't even know what I'm wearing, but uh, it, it's fun. This is uh, a, okay. One other thing about Mike Patton now, because I, I didn't really think you guys were. Uh, I don't know what. Anyway, he always wears a shirt that has Kiss. Um, with the Led Zeppelin logo on the bottom. So it's all the kiss guys in <laughs> oh, makeup. Beautiful. And, he, and that's, he just wears it in all of his photo ops and constantly <laughs> does it. Same yeah, kind of for, reaction. For me, it's a, it's a, it's, you know how there's like, uh, like you can go, to, you either like the Beatles or you like the Stones, you know, or you, you like Star Wars or you like Star Trek. And this is my way of saying, no, I love it all. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love it all. And, and it, it, I mean, obviously we're nerding out like crazy here and there's a lot of joy in it. And, and it, the, the enthusiasm comes from a very pure, real place, Yeah, you know, where our imaginations are just set on fire and that's to be celebrated. And if, if that, if that makes me a nerd, then, then that's exactly what I want to be. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. That I think is, I mean, that's, that also led us, Brian and I, to spend many an evening doing, doing this uh, and getting to talk to people like Tom Brevoort and, and Matt Fraction and yourself and, and hear, just hear the pure joy and love that they, they, that we all share for this uh, medium and every, you know, sort of fiction that we all have grown up with. It's so great. <laughs> yeah. Um. Where are we? Yeah, I, I totally it's, lost. I went off into Star Trek and Star Wars land in my head. Yeah. So I'm like, well, uh, so you well, got to tell us how this one ends, Rob. Like, oh, yeah. What, the, what happens here? So, of course, we uh, 
<laughs> Mysterio loses. Um, Spidey figures out that uh, that he is being fooled with. Um, Mysterio has you know projected giant versions of himself. He is really in an amusement park, um, and uh, so what's weird is, or what I thought was most interesting is that just right in the last panel, uh, Spidey is uh, swinging home and goes over a student dem- demonstration at Empire State University, and he says, "Looks like some sort of demonstration down below, but at least it doesn't concern <laughs> old Spider Man." And then next issue. It concerns old Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Love that. Yeah, and again, that, that next cover is one of the most iconic ever, too. It, it's pretty powerful. But, yeah. I mean, it, uh, I, Mom always said, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. But uh, with this particular book, it is eye candy. It's pure, like the, the, yeah. the, the Hall of Mirrors that he's in and all the things. But you have to take some really big leaps of logic because uh, all of this, the only way this really works is if all of this is in his head and that he's not even doing anything because yeah. there's, I mean, these, these are real physical dangers. The, the water, the, the whirlpool, the, the axe that he grabs on to the giant axe, <laughs> the and, giant knife. Um, too. <laughs> so you, you either have to, you either have to realize that all of this is in his head or that Mysterio really made an intricate little. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, Mysterio has a huge budget. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I, I read this probably when I was like maybe nine or 10 years old. I, th- I think I read it in a digest of reprints and I'm, I'm curious to get everyone's take on what did you think Mysterio was actually doing in this story? Cause I, I'll tell you what I thought as a kid, and going back and re- this is like the first time I reread this in 30 years now. Um, but as a kid, I thought that the the reveal was that Mysterio had built like a hunt, like an 80 foot version of himself that was like a robot. And it was like this giant Mysterio was going around this amusement park trying to get Spider-Man, which right. I now realize was not the case. But <laughs> I mean, to Mike's point, like it. There's no other. There's a lot of stuff that's not explained here. I reading it now. I oh, thought, no. I thought he was gassed, like scarecrow, yeah. fear gas. Nope. You know, um, that's, that's what the, I thought. That's the only way it works. Yeah, yeah. that's the only way it works. It, it's everything. Uh, Mysterio. Uh, there, it's a it's a trip. He's he's uh, he's uh, influenced by drugs mm-hmm. and Mysterio. So it's all he's suggesting all of these things. So so if we were to be watching. Peter Parker, we'd be seeing him just standing in one place, flailing at stuff. He'd just <laughs> yeah. be tripping. Up. He'd be like that guy who's talking himself going down the street. He's just, he's, and so I think the ending is he eventually it all eventually wears off that 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 the drugs wear off and and Mysterio's suggestions um, start to lose any impact. Mm-hmm. That in my mind, that's the only way that that's the only way that this that's what's really happening yeah yeah and then so he finally breaks through of his through through a uh free of his influence and punches him out yeah end of story it seems so like a batman joker style like there's just impossible amount of thought to these uh you know enormous axes and knives and and also for peter to not like get these there's rivets in this thing i'm on 
you know, I'm, I'm jumping on these these amusement park rides. There, there would be impossible details. That's all. I just kept, I could not, <laughs> I could not suspend disbelief enough quite in this, but I still enjoyed it because it was, you oh, know. No, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> it, it, I, I, I enjoy it as, it's a trip. It, it's, yeah. he, he, it's like, it's like Dungeons and Dragons on drugs. Yep. It, yes. it, the suggestions <laughs> are, are, become very real in your mind. And, um, and so Mysterio is just, he's in his head. You're seeing this now. You're touching this now. You're in a hall of mirrors now. There, there's poison on the on the glass. Um, that's. I mean, who would really take the time to coat the mirror with poison? He's suggesting it. These are all suggestions, right? And so, uh, so he, so then, okay, I have to protect myself from breaking the glass. So I just, in, in retrospect, I see Peter as just uh, spinning in circles. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> I would it would be so great to just sort of cut to that for you know if if the story really was that just 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 Spider-Man standing yeah. in a room like <laughs> like a VR helmet on you know it's almost the same thing yeah. it just looks and in, ridiculous. And in some ways that that's what we got with uh Far From Home the, yeah. the 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 theatrical version of this you know what is real what what is real and what isn't real yeah and yeah. and and then the uh how the magician's tricks work you know, yep. it, the, what happens behind the curtain. So, but it, but it's a visual feast. It's just great to look at. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. The last issue we're going to be talking about this week is the double sized silver surfer. Number three, the story is called the power and the prize. It's written by Stan Lee. The art is by John Buscema inked by Joe Sinnott. Um, so uh, several weeks ago, we had Tony Fleece, uh, who is the co-creator of Stray Dogs, uh, longtime My Little Pony artist. Uh, he was a guest on the show. He told us this heartbreaking story about how he had bought this issue <laughs> for something like eight bucks as a kid uh, from his local comic store. And his mom made him... I got it for a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you may still have your copy. Unfortunately, Tony's mom made him return it to the comic store because she could not believe anyone would charge $8 for a comic book. Uh, that says 25 cents. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, beans, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want Tony to feel any worse than he already does, but uh, I checked online. If he had kept this in good condition, uh, he could have turned this around today for about a 20,000% profit. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's also a pretty great issue. It's got some beautiful John Buscema art, um, and it's got the first appearance of Mephisto. Yeah. Um, this is where he first shows up. So, so Mike, you've had some recent experience with the surfer. Uh, what are some of your thoughts about the character in general in, in this issue or era of Silver Surfer uh, in particular? Well, this, this is where it all started for me. Um, I I actually had the first, the very first uh, issue of, you know, a solo series. Um, and uh, we weren't allowed to take comic books to school. So I cut out the Silver Surfer from the cover and pasted it on my school notebook. <laughs> <laughs> So how's that for a heartbreaking oh, story? Yeah, uh, but, yeah. Uh, no, I I ate this stuff up, and I remember uh, twenty five cents, and you get wow, and look how thick it is, you know. Yeah. And I had the the, the the thick spine, and um, but uh, I 
again, another one of my heroes, it, it, it could go without saying, but it's not going to because uh, Dan Slott is a hero of mine. Um, what the gift he gave me um, with the, the what he I Silver Surfer has always been one of my favorite characters. And uh, to be able to not only work on a series without a, a guest artist, we, I, I, I think it was the first time I never had a fill-in artist. And um, it was because uh, Dan was uh, slow. And um, <laughs> notoriously, you know, they were working on Spider-Man at the same time. Yeah. And so they gave, they, there was no pressure. It, it was like, you know, when, when, when it's done, it's done. And it worked out perfectly with my schedule. So, I, by the time I was finishing up an issue, um, uh, Dan had a, a new script for me, and each uh, each one started with a phone call where he would act out the entire issue. Wow! So I, he's just I could just imagine him jumping and running, and you know, doing all the voices, and this happens, and then this happens, and so I would hear how the story plays emotionally, and then I would get the script. And then he would be like, now do whatever you want to with this, you know, and I did. And it was just liberating and exhilarating. And um, looking back to to be able to uh, do this very pure thing, I think it's also some of the most artistic growth I've ever had. I, I, I personally feel that from the first issue to the last issue, I really grew um, more than I had in, you know, previous spans of time wow so the, the surfer has always been and laura's studio actually has a life-size uh surfer hanging from the ceiling she has a, a really high vaulted ceiling so in the beam it, there's these chains that hang down and there's this it was a promotional uh surfer for the rise of silver surfer <laughs> oh yeah and so you you come into our house and one of the first things you see is uh, that Silver Surfer has some significance to us. <laughs> so it, 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 it's huge. And it, it, this was something that I was uh, getting in real time and looked forward to it and w would uh, hit the We got our comics from, uh, there were two different drugstores. We could, we were just a few blocks from uh, downtown Roseburg, you know, this classic uh, downtown, uh, the, there's one main street that has everything that, you know, to, there was a toy store, there was a, a clothing store, shoe store. There was a Payless drug store, which was this two story outfit. Well, the two story in that you, you'd from the main street, you'd walk in the top and then overlook this giant store. And then you'd go down these stairs and at the bottom of the stairs was a popcorn machine. So I always uh, buying comic, and then at the other end of the store was the magazine racks and the spin spinner rack, and so I always equated uh, this wonderful popcorn smell with with comic books, <laughs> and um, so I would, and it was close enough that even as kids we could just walk downtown pretty much whenever we wanted to, and uh, um, would make sure you know we didn't miss our favorite comics, and uh, we I think our allowance was like, I think we got 25 cents a week unless we earned more for chores and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so, so if we had to, we could only buy one or two comics. We'd have to beg for chores and stuff or, or, or look forward to one of these uh, picnics where we'd go to the park or the swimming hole 
and then they would, uh, you know, pretty much just get wherever you want. We just clean up the, you know, the magazine rack and the spinner rack. <laughs> but so those are those are our those are my earliest childhood memories having these these four color thrills. You know, just digging in. And this there was something about Silver Surfer that always lit me up. And I I I, I it, it's the one character where I like another artist almost as much as Jack Kirby's version. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I pretty much, they're pretty much equal for me. Cause I love the way Kirby drew the surfer, mm-hmm. but you look at Basema's stuff and the, the anxiety in his face and, uh, and it, it, there's all this compassion. And this particular, this particular issue, the third is crazy punch. I'm just oh, pumped yeah. with ideas. It's, it actually starts out like the day the earth stood still and then kind of turns into the exorcist. <laughs> yes. And, uh, it, 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 yeah, it's, it, I think you could have, you could have done a whole mini series with the whole, uh, day the earth stood still idea. Yeah. But that's just incredibly brief. Oh yeah. And then we get into the whole, uh, um, you know, it, 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 then it then it kind of turns into the last temptation of Christ. Yeah, very it, much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, just super deep, rich themes that supposedly are aimed at kids. And yeah. I know uh, in retrospect that that Marvel Comics' biggest audience was actually college age, mm. and I can see why. Yeah. But uh, th- there's just there there the the temptations that are that are thrown at Norrin and yeah and. This one character is referred to as a robot and doesn't look like a robot at all. It's very organic, weird-looking thing. Mm-hmm. But um, it, I mean, he's, he, yeah, he's, he's tempted with riches. He's t- uh, tempted with the, you can have all these women. You don't have to pick just one. You can have them all. You're right. Um, it, it's uh, it's really rich. And and then Mephisto, who just can't stand Norn because he's so good. Yes, he's just yeah. so pure that it just drives him insane. Yeah, it, well, it, 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 and this is where we see, like, I mean, Stan Lee had a very, very different vision of the Silver Surfer than Kirby it did. Is this is something space Jesus, like he he's going yeah. that way. I mean, I know Adam Warlock comes around later, but this is where I, I always I find it so interesting that Stan is just delving this, and it, it, it I mean, there I think Mephisto even mentions some other people he's encountered in the past that were this good that made him upset you know this illusion and i love that uh it's so it's and he mentions armageddon you know there's so many biblical pieces in it and it i i like it when things get that the stakes get that high having it been you know i sort of raised with the judeo-christian stuff it's like we're talking to satan here um, you know, yeah. it's, yeah. Oh, yeah. and there's no doubt that he's not called that directly, but there is no doubt, you know? Oh no, he, Mephisto himself refers to uh satanic something. Right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the 40 days and 40 nights in the desert here. I mean, that's, that's what this story is. It's the Marvel comics version of Jesus being tempted in the desert. Yeah. And, you know, in, instead of 40 days and 40 nights, uh, they've got 40 pages to work with. Uh, so, you know, it works out. Um, but yeah, it, it, like his whole, Mephisto's whole stated plan is that he he's just, he's getting his hooks into the earth because of all the the greed and the, you know, the, the 
violence and you know man's inhumanity to man that is you know in the front pages of every newspaper um during this time and uh, a character as pure and as noble as the silver surfer is ruining his chances to basically harvest the souls of humanity Mm -hmm. and so he either needs to destroy him or he needs to make him bend to his will and he tries like a million different things to try to get him to to finally submit um and it really does become this incredibly uh, like cosmic uh battle for basically the fate of humanity um and it's it's really heady stuff and again yeah for a comic book and 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 humanity is always so disappointing. They're yeah. always ignorant. They, I, and I, and the, the past few years have, have kind of really opened my eyes, sadly, to how much ignorance there still is in the world. I, sure. I keep hope, I'm an optimist. And I keep hoping and thinking that, that human beings are progressing rapidly and, and, and that kindness is the dominant force in humanity. And, and almost... I'm just constantly being told, no, not quite. There's, there's just still ignorance, ignorance almost rules. And, uh, but the, the good fight keeps going on. And that's what I love about real heroes and, Mm -hmm. and, and not just fictional heroes. When you see a real hero in real life, somebody who is truly sincerely kind and cares and, and uh, makes a true sacrifice, you know, to be kind that nothing moves me more. So, it, but it, but like Christ, you have uh, it, it's this whole they know not what they they do kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Where yeah, yeah. I mean, like it and the previous issue, he's uh, saving a, a girl um, who was you know captured by aliens, and um, and everybody thinks that he's responsible for the state that she's in, and you know nobody listens. Nobody can see what is clearly this this kind. And even when the whole day the Earth stood still thing, where he just stops everything and you know right. and just shuts everything down. Um, even that, he's like, you know, I'm that, I'm just being cruel. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's like, all right, I I I, I got a little little worked up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. you want him to say Klaatu brought a Nikto, but this is. In science fiction, this is this story that we get, keep being shown over and over again that, you know, people, you got to pull your heads out. Yeah. That if, if everybody just agreed to be to treat each other with respect, the world would instantly be this amazing place. Mm-hmm. And almost every problem you can think of would just go away mm-hmm. because yeah. it wouldn't be about accumulating everything I can accumulate and screw all you. It would be about, you know what, if if you have a little bit better, it's ultimately going to make things better for me too. That that's the, that's the science of it. Mm-hmm. But there's this inner selfishness that human beings have that we just can't seem to easily clearly break from it, There's everybody's always looking at the enemy instead of looking to make the friend. And, um, that, that's, that's what silver surfer does for me. He's just, uh, and 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 I kind of and I see that with Vision too. That, but where Silver Surfer has this cosmic spirituality, Vision has this intellectual mm-hmm. um, spirituality, and, uh, and and I and I it's very clear to me now doing this uh, this therapeutic session. <laughs> 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 that, but that 
that's why these two characters are favorites of mine. You know, they 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 are examples of what is the best of us, and but unfortunately, they're not human. Right. So, um, but we should try to strive to be like these beings that have kind of shown us. You know what? Yes, we have all this amazing power, but we care about you. Even though we're not part of your race, we care about you and we want things to be better for you. Yeah. It's very, it's, it's close to some of the best of Superman as well, but it's the, it's, it also is, you know, I think for all of us, I mean, I've certainly learned a lot of empathy from reading these things as a really young kid, like some of these characters, um, not necessarily all of the very stark fighting crime punch em ups, but, um, you know, you you can you can get an idea of good and evil, but getting an idea of caring and empathy is is part mm-hmm. of what we're seeing with Vision and and Silver Surfer. You know, it, it, yeah. from this very distant perspective too, from this inhuman perspective, and it's yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, I've always been very keen on learning uh, different belief systems, different religions, uh, what people believe and why. And um, it's it's always been something that's fascinated me, and uh, and I don't take anything at face value, and um, so any faith that I have in things is hard won. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think as much study as I've done, and I I I found more inspiration from these kinds of stories than I, than I have in, in reading the Bible back and forth. I, I, I know that's going to really upset some people <laughs> to hear that, but I, I think that the truth of the hard fact is that the, the things that people believe in, in human history have caused more division than they ever have unity. Most it, it's, that's just a hard fact. And it and it's crazy because most of the beliefs belief systems are very similar. Yep, you're right. We, mm-hmm. Almost everybody. The one thing I think everybody can believe agree on is the golden rule: to simply treat people in a way that you want to be treated. You know, mm-hmm. mutual respect, mutual compassion, mutual empathy. Yet you draw these lines. Well, I'm this, and you're that. So we will never agree on anything. And it's sad yeah. because ultimately our faith, the faith of the world, and hopefully this will anybody I irritated with my Bible comment, <laughs> um, because I, I, I do appreciate it. I do. I, in fact, all scriptures I, I have value in them. They also have a lot of uh, corruption because over time, uh, all those in power change things mm-hmm. for, for their own political needs and that's a historical fact mm-hmm. if, you, if you look at uh, one scripture 200 years ago it's going to be different from what it was 600 years ago and what it's going to and it's going to be different you know on and on mm-hmm. and it's because whoever was rewriting it whoever was recopying it before the printing press and what have you let's take that out and let's add this no i don't mm-hmm. like asparagus <laughs> so let's put this uh, scripture in here where asparagus is bad and you, nobody, anybody that has asparagus should be flayed, you know. So, and I, I've also found that a lot of people 
don't understand what they're reading because they will depend on a particular preacher Mm -hmm. to interpret things for them. And so they, it's a shortcut into actually understanding what's actually in these texts. And it's, it's important to not completely uh, be taken into any one individual to tell you what interpretations are. That's Mm -hmm. why um, here we are talking about comic books and we can each have our own interpret uh, interpretations. We're each going to, your comic books, your favorite comic books are going to be different from my favorite comic books, but it's, then we get to talk about it. And you know what? I might appreciate your favorite comic book more than I did before because of this exchange of ideas. Yeah. If, if this exchange of ideas could exist everywhere, especially in political systems and, and religious systems, again, the world would be a better place. And it, it just seems so painfully obvious to me, yet there, the, these ignorance, it's ignorance always anchors us. It always holds us back. It always stoppers us. And, and uh, again, with comic books, where we're saying, you know what, if, if, our, if my teacher had dropped a bunch of my music teachers, my piano teacher, my guitar teacher, they had these comic books there. Mm-hmm. And I learned from them. I, I, I learned compassion. I learned sacrifice. I learned what it is to, you know, make an effort to help other people from mm-hmm. comic books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm just incredibly proud for this to be my profession that I get to do this. And, and I, I'm always embarrassed when I, when somebody says, what, uh, what calling it work, you know, <laughs> what, what do you do for work? Because right. It's not work. It's, it's, it was what I did for fun in my spare time. And it's what I now get to make a living at. And I can't believe how unbelievably lucky I am. And I, I would like to think that, um, that someday people would sit around like we are now and appreciate the work you know, that I've done with, uh, you know, Peter Milligan and, and, and Dan Slott and Brian Bendis and Matt Wagner and, you know, and find value in it and to have gained something from it. And, uh, I just, I, it, it's, it's part of what drives me to do something of value with, with this art form because I love and respect it so much. I, I just get excited revisiting this stuff. I just get excited all over again. Yeah, I I can guarantee that people will and do. Um, (laughs) Having Brian and I uh, talk about you, (laughs) your and Dan's run on uh, on Silver Surfer and and the work on FF. A a recent book club uh, that I went to, uh, I held court for 15 minutes on your Bowie graphic novel. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, we're already doing that. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of which, you know, I I had said I revisited Red Rocket 7. And I, I also have, uh, you know, got Bowie right when it came out on, on his birthday. And uh, I, <laughs> I've i read both of them within a couple months. And I was like, what a strange uh, and awesome arc to have uh, these, these sort of Bowie is sort of the Red Rocket 7 character in his own, you know, line, who is also in Red Rocket 7. But just the that that weird world from from what you've done and what you've been a part of these two <laughs> books have so much in similarity it's beautiful you mentioned uh adam warlock <laughs> earlier um how he 
became, again, kind of a cosmic messiah. But for me, Adam Warlock was the comic book Ziggy Stardust. Yeah. You know, oh, I, and, yeah. True. I ha- and uh, I was, he had, he had the, the, the pointy shoulder outfit. And um, that's one of my favorite things I've been able to do. I did an Adam Warlock special, which um, I, oh, I just, I'm so happy that I've gotten to, I, I can't think of any projects. I know there must have been some which I was happy to put behind me, but I, I I'd have to really think long and hard to think of what those might have been because almost everything I've been able to do has just been so fun. I mean, I get like you read Fraction with uh, with FF that man oh, alive. There, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually working on two things right now, which I'm not allowed to talk about, and it's just killing me because I want you to know what I'm working. On. Well, uh, yeah, hopefully we can talk again when they're they're out or they're going to come out, so you can promote them as well, and we can find out because now, yes, I'm gonna. Well, I can tell you that uh, Peter and I have done a spinoff, an ecstatic spinoff series called The Excellent, and it's a ten issue series, and it's almost done. Sweet. This this whole shutdown thing uh like i'm on issue eight of ten issues oh wow <laughs> and yeah i mean it's it's crazy and it has it was we did a ecstatic special and it was uh announced in the back of that special so that so i know i can talk about right. that we're doing that <laughs> but there's these two other projects which may be the biggest things i've ever ever worked on um i can't think of doing anything bigger than what these potentially could end up being. Oh. And I'm, I'm not, I can't talk about either. So, um, I'm so excited. It, yeah, <laughs> it'll be really fun a, a year from now to, and you were always working in a bubble and I've gotten really good at keeping these secrets. Cause it's funny how long I'll be into a project before, you know, we're told, okay, you can uh, tell people what this is now. Right. And, um, so, I, there isn't a day that goes by where I'm drawing and, and not daydreaming, hoping that people will dig what uh, what's in front of me. And th- this has been, oh man, this has been a lot of fun because, uh, you know, I uh, haven't been able to take the time to have these kind of conversations again with no comic books. <laughs> this is kind of, this is, this is me at a show uh, trying to, people trying to get the line moving because I won't shut up, you know? <laughs> but I, I just get excited. Yeah, it, it has been such an absolute delight to talk comics and literally everything else with you. Uh, I can't think of a better way to to kick off our new season. Um, and I, I know you've got some things uh, that you can't talk about, but uh, before we let you go, uh, what can we plug for you and, and make sure is on our fans' radars? Um, well, we, we've pretty much talked about everything I'd love people to keep uh, discovering. Um, I, my, I, I, don't think, I don't think a week goes by that somebody hasn't, redis- hasn't discovered Silver Surfer for the first time. That, that is turning out to be one of my most evergreen projects. Um, I wish that they could uh, uh, discover FF. Um, the Bowie book I'm incredibly thrilled with. I, th- that's one of the most successful things I've ever done. It, it, it's in, wow, I, o- over 10 different languages. Uh, wow. it, 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 and I've done multiple covers for it for different editions. Um, that, that has really been uh, just a thrill how successful that has been. Um, 
Uh, when is uh, oh when is Han's uh, space face movie coming out? Oh, Do I, I don't know that. See, that's an uh, he he actually has uh, I, he he could make a miniseries. He, he has some and and I. I know that the people that he's interviewed, uh, like he, he did, inter- he interviewed Matt Fraction, Kelly Sue, uh, Matt Wagner, uh, a lot of the people we've uh, talked about, and uh, um, Michael Ivan Oming. Um, uh, he, he's been at different shows that, and interviewed a lot of different people. Uh, the Pander Brothers, who were uh, one of the first pros that we uh, we met as when as us being professionals. And uh, introducing us to the Portland uh, scene back in the day in the early '90s, um, he's. But he, there were a few people he wanted to interview. Uh, he wanted to get uh, Neil Gaiman and uh, Gerard Way, who've uh, you know worked with me. And um, but then all travel stopped. Right. So a lot of people were. He was able to get to them, or they were, or they were near us. Um, we also have a couple Airbnbs, and uh, when friends come through town, if we get enough notice, we block out the the, the places so they can stay, and they're they're within walking distance of our house. Um, so a lot of people have come through there. Kevin Smith, uh, he was one of the last people to come through on his uh, Jane Bob tour before everything shut down, and so he stayed with us and on interviewed him. Um, so he's he has hours and hours and hours of footage, and what's what I'm excited about is um they uh in fact i'm more excited about plugging what han's doing than my own stuff because (laughs) it it uh it's been uh it's been therapeutic for me i i've uh i i i struggle from i I wouldn't talk about this before and now i'm more comfortable talking about it but i i i suffer from existential terrors I, i i get visions and um it happens like every four years or so and I'll be struck with these visions and where my brain just shoots through eternity. I, I actually conceive of eternity and it, and it, it, it separates me from reality and it's very painful. And, and, uh, um, I don't mind saying I was put in a mental hospital for a while when I was a teenager because, uh, it, it, it crippled me. And uh, my dad being a psychologist, um, so uh, it's something that in the past I'd be embarrassed about. And now I'm I'm more of an advocate about. Uh, um, I I come to realize that this is. Uh, it, 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 it it's using the expression mental illness, but if if you're struggling mentally, I, it. I, it has to be defined as an illness and there should be some way to treat it and, and find comfort in it so that you can, um, function. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so this has happened to me again, my, uh, this would also be one of my earliest memories where, um, it was a summer night and, um, I hated having to go to bed because it was still light outside and, uh, so I was put to bed and laying in bed, not tired again with it not being dark yet. And so I'm just staring at the ceiling and the ceiling fell away. It opened up and I saw through the sky, through the clouds, then through space and through the stars. And my, my mind just started shooting through eternity and it freaked me out. And I started screaming 
And my mom came and uh, to comfort me, like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I was like, I, I can see forever. I can see forever. And, uh, and it, I was just losing it. And, and she was able to calm me down and, and say, uh, what do you, what do you wait? What are you going to do tomorrow? What are you going to do tomorrow? And are you, are, aren't you going to like play with Eric? You know, your friend across the street, you got a new hot wheel, right? Don't you have new hot wheels to play with? And, um, just kind of grounded me in now and, um, calm me down. And then this, this sort of thing would happen to me, um, again, almost like clockwork, like every four years or so. And, um, the worst one was Laura, Laura, actually one of the worst ones was like on our honeymoon. And, um, and then, uh, the next one after that roundabout or maybe a couple other after that, Laura would see me suffer with these and I'd just go inside myself and, and, um, just try these, these visions rolling through my head and I'm just trying to grasp reality and would struggle through. And it, each time it would have an after effect about a week or so. But then, um, I guess our oldest son was probably, I guess he'd probably have been about 10 or so. And, um, and Laura, uh, and, and, and it happened. And as it's happening again, Laura, it's happening now. And, 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 and I would always shake it off. I'd always just try to get rid of it and just try to get back to normal day to day reality. And then Laura said, have you ever just let it go? Have you ever just tried to see if it's trying to take you somewhere? Like maybe the universe is trying to tell you something and don't fight it off. Maybe, you know, just see what happens. And so uh, right there in front of her, I, I contemplated these visions and let them in and almost literally went insane. It was, Laura will tell you. (laughs) Wow. You ever save anybody. And I was just gone. I was like grabbing the walls. I couldn't feel the walls and like, and just trying to crush my head, like make it stop, make it stop, make it stop. And I, and I just lose all physical touch and, and, and just getting shot through eternity. I hope I'm not this. We've had so much fun talking. No, no, I've heard some about this from, from Hans, you know, feedback. We, we both supported the, you know, Kickstarter. So, well, yeah. good. Okay. Cause this is why I'm, I'm being open to talk about it because, mm. um, it, it was, it isn't what the documentary is about. It's what inspired the documentary mm-hmm. because what I didn't realize, I thought I hid these attacks from the children. I didn't realize that they saw what I was going through. And this affected them in ways that I didn't realize before. And then Han came to me and, you know, he'd been, he's, he's a musician. He's uh, worked at uh, recording studios. He's, he's just a, you know, a gearhead knows his stuff backwards and forwards. And, um, we started making little films and stuff and then had the idea to make this documentary and came to me and said, um, could I'd like to, uh, he, didn't, he didn't ask my permission. He said, I'm going to make a documentary and it's about you. And I'm like, Oh really? Why? <laughs> Thanks, <son>. and, and, <laughs> and, and then he said, I want to talk to you about this, this thing that happens to you. And, um, I want to, uh, 
And then I want to I want to ask your friends and peers if they if they've been aware of it and what they and their uh, thoughts on existentialism, life and death. You know what came before and what will happen after, and you know the secrets of the universe and what are different people's different theories of that. And so he used it as a talking, like an intro. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and then here again, a lot of my friends I had confided in, uh, like Randy Bowen, the sculptor, is one of our best friends. And he mm-hmm. he was very aware of, of this sort of thing. I've talked deeply to him about this sort of uh, this sort of stuff. And he's and uh, um, Michael Omi and his wife, Taki, because uh, uh, she's suffered similar things. Uh, um, uh, and a lot of people have a lot of people have existential uh anxieties and mm-hmm. and 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 you know whether whether they have it's whether it's a fear of dying or what have you you know everybody at some point kind of questions their existence and that was ultimately what this has become for han so he'll talk with people and some of them will uh, uh i i haven't i've seen very little of anything he won't show me um this stuff i've only like accidentally seen stuff where i've seen him put a trailer together and that sort of thing and then also i've talked with the people he's interviewed afterwards and they've told me what they've talked about Mm -hmm. and a lot of them were surprised that you know here they sit down with my son and he says uh um did you know this happens to my dad and and (laughs) almost all of them are like what (laughs) oh wow (laughs) and um and then he will from there dive into their thoughts about life and death and existence and uh, faith and, uh, and, you know, some of our friends are agnostic, some are atheists, some are uh, deeply religious. And um, it's been this really, uh, he has, from my perspective, he has way too much material (laughs) to make make (laughs) one film. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It sounds like it. Yeah. For, for me, I just, I, I love that he dug out these old movies or he found old uh, eight millimeter footage of my brother Lee and I running around in Batman costumes because neither one of us wanted to be Robin. (laughs) (laughs) My my brother and I did Batman and Spider-Man because uh, none of us, we weren't going to be Robin either. So yeah, I understand. (laughs) But I, I'm really, I, it's been thrilling to see how invested he is in this. And, uh, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm as eager to see it as everybody. He, 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 I think his estimate was to finish it by the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Great. Cool. And yeah. I haven't heard, I haven't heard that change. Um, and again, even if he doesn't get Gerard and Neil, um, he's got so much material and a lot of really interesting people that he's interviewed already. And what I want to see is how he fills it out visually, you know, with mm-hmm. comic book pages and, and that sort of thing. So it, it, I'm, I'm really proud of him. And his, his, our other son, um, is a brilliant musician, like just a natural guitarist, just, just took to it immediately. It, it, like he can come up with a riff instantly. And it, I just, I'm so, and then our daughter Kelby and, uh, and they're so they're all so talented and I, it's thrilling to, to to watch them be able to express themselves with their talents because that's really what it's about i i i think if every human being had a way to express themselves artistically that would also go a long way to make the world a better place agreed i think you're yeah. right 
I, I think one of the things I've realized as I've gotten older that if if I don't have some sort of creative outlet, it doesn't go great for me. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, I, I think it's it's a necessary part of human existence for for healthy human existence. Yeah, and I think Brian yeah. and I both yeah. suffer from our own uh, versions of of overwhelming anxiety and yep. existential dread at times mm-hmm. where, um, and we've, we've known each other for, for quite a while now. So, uh, yeah, we both not, not something quite like that, but certainly, um, we have our, our own versions and, and creativity is certainly like, if I can't go down and play drums or guitar or whatever, mm-hmm. I'm, I get lost. And, I, and in fact, I, broke my rib at the start of the year and had about eight weeks where I couldn't play drums and it was oh making me go crazy. How did you break a rib? <laughs> I was uh, just doing a dumb thing. I was working on a, a, a new insert on our fireplace and I was laying over the mantle and like hammering with a rubber mallet up into the chimney and just sitting exactly on the edge with a brick and just sort of put the <laughs> beat myself against a brick and broke my rib. And, uh, yeah, oh, it was wow. uh, <laughs> miserable, but at any rate, just the, you know, when you don't have these, that, that outlet, I, you know, I, I started to, to draw a little bit more and I certainly read, um, I read Jerusalem by Alan Moore, which was a long slog. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's just a, a, uh, I think you're right about the, the creative outlet if people just found that if they could let themselves find it or if they could get past their you know whatever happened with their parents and other things and find mm-hmm. their creative outlet and just uh whatever it is i think you're right the world would would level out a lot more quickly and also if people would just read the things they're arguing about like the bible that was one thing i certainly did as a teenager i was tired of my tired of my stepfather's interpretation of it and decided I was going to read it myself <laughs> and did it a couple yeah. times. And then you could start winning some of those arguments, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, for, for me, I, I, do you know what, uh, do you know what red letter scriptures are? Is no. that the ones with, uh, Jesus's words in red? Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. to me, it's like, it, 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 if uh, at least as from uh, Christianity, if everybody mm-hmm. could just forget all the Old Testament contradictions, and <laughs> yeah. that's what they are, mm-hmm. it's inarguable. I don't care. I mean, I you just the, it's just right there. You read this, and then you read that. These two things contradict themselves. So, are are you mm-hmm. really supposed to throw yourself behind that? I don't think so. But if you just if you can just take value from uh, the words of Christ, it's all love. It's all forgiveness. It's all kindness. Yeah. It's all caring about when you care about somebody else, you actually, you get more back. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of the most selfish things you can do is to, to give (laughs) because you ultimately get something back. (laughs) <laughs> it, 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 or you know, call it call it good karma. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I I I I found that that works in our lives. That if if you it, the more selfless you are, the happier you'll be because yeah. things, Oh, love you too. <laughs> See you later. Be safe.
You look sexy. <laughs> that was my girlfriend. <laughs> I, I happen to be married to my girlfriend. That's that's a yeah. pretty good deal. Oh yeah, I had a, a, a interesting. The best. I, how long? Have, when did you meet? How long have you known each other, you and Laura? Oh man, since teenagers. We we and we've been together since the moment we met. It was, uh, um, wow. Do, do 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 you really want to know? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to take more of your time, but I, I'm. You know, I'm curious because I've followed your career and I've followed, you know, Laura's work in, in coloring and, yeah. um, well, she's my unicorn. She's like, I, I take a lot of joy from life. And that's why when I have these visions that attack me and, and, uh, challenge my reality, um, it, 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 it's really torturous because I, I start questioning everything and even my my own reality and when you start when you start I'm, I have a friend who's a diagnosed schizophrenic and I I've not been that um but I've seen the struggle and it's one of my fears because I feel like this could just ruin me like uh and Laura's always just kind of been this light in my life and so it was uh we um, I, I was at my, uh, so it was my first apartment out of high school and, um, uh, there was a uh, bus from the student center to, to get me to my apartment. And I w I was getting on the shuttle to get us to the top of the hill to my apartment and coming off the bus was the most beautiful creature I've ever seen in my life. And I'm just staring at this beautiful girl and, and, um, and she stared at me and we weren't, you know, normally my, Oh, I'm embarrassing and turn your eyes away. We just locked eyes and even walking past each other, continued to look over our shoulders, continuing to look at each other and to where I'm on the bus and I've got my face pressed up against the glass. <laughs> and, and this was October 22nd, 1980. And, um, and as the bus pulls away, I'm thinking, crud, I was here all summer and now, um, and I never saw her before. I may never see her again. Stupid. I should have said something. Man. And a couple hours later, there's a knock on the door and I open the door and there's this, uh, um, young lady at the door and asked me if, uh, Tracy's home and, and that's my roommate. I said, yeah, he's here. And she says, uh, yeah, he brought some of my records albums. I, I came to get them back. I'm like, okay, and I yell back, Tracy, somebody's here for you. This girl steps into the apartment, and behind her is the most <laughs> beautiful girl I've ever seen in my life. Oh. Whoa. And and steps into the apartment, and uh, and the, her friend goes in the back to get her records back from Tracy, and I'm sitting in the front room with Laura, and I'm like, hey, I saw you earlier today. And she's like, yeah, I saw you too. And I, I just said, do you want to go for a walk? And she's like... Uh, yeah. And so she yells at her friend and says, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go for a walk with Michael. And she's like, what? I <laughs> <laughs> like, and yeah, uh, some earlier today and, uh, we're, so we're just going to go walk. I'll see you tomorrow. I was like, okay. <laughs> and we, we walked all night long. We just walked and talked all night long. And then every time we weren't in class, we, we were together. Every time we could be together, we were together. 
And then uh, Christmas break came, and she went back to uh, Orange. She grew up four miles from Disneyland. I went back to Roseburg. And then her grandparents, she talked me up with her folks, and her grandparents came to drive her back to school and came up through Roseburg and to pick me up and drive back. And then uh, nine months to the day that we met, we got married. Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah, and uh, we've been together ever since. And I can honestly say each year is better than the one before. Um, and and now we've, we've like, experienced everything together. We, we, we were both spoiled, selfish little turds when we met. <laughs> and um, we learned so much from each other. I mean, uh, being young and stupid, we, we had stupid fights and struggles for the first three years or so. But then at one point it was like, we're fighting about the stupidest stuff. Can we just agree to not? And she's like, yeah. And then it's just gotten better and better and better. And now we've seen the world together and we've done things we're proud of, created things that we're proud of together and we have wonderful kids and grandkids and, they all live within walking distance of us. We've created this weird little compound on the top of the hill above the University of Oregon. And uh, every, every day is just paradise. Awesome. I love the the start of that story is pretty much just like I've just seen a face by the Beatles. Uh, like it just made that song go right through my head when you were talking about oh, getting man. on the bus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. Um, yeah, I have so many, I could talk to you. I could ask you so many things. Yeah. We can keep doing this for another five hours, but, uh, man, thank you so much, Mike. This has been such a pleasure. Um, I really appreciate you making the time for our nonsense. Um, and, uh, yeah, this has just been great. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been big fun. It, It was really I feel like I just got the same buzz I would get at a Comic-Con, so I appreciate it. <laughs> nice. Well, right on. Well, hopefully when uh, when those start happening in, you know, in real life again, uh, we'll get to catch up with you and, and, and chat some more. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll let you go for now. This, is, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care, guys. thanks once again to Mike Allred for being so generous uh, with his time um, and just with all of the thoughts in his head. He's an incredible human being. I'm I'm amped. I'm giddy. I'm going to be giddy for weeks just from being inspired by talking to that man. This yeah. is so cool. Yeah, he's one of the good ones. Uh, we're so grateful to have gotten so much time with him. Um, uh, so thanks to uh, thanks to Mike. Um Thanks also to our Patreon subscribers who get access to extended cuts of our regular episodes. Uh, Also get access to full bonus episodes and our quick hits supplementary episodes that cover just about every comic Marvel put out every month. You can subscribe for the fantastic price of four bucks a month at patreon.com slash Marvel by the month. Um, and, uh, if you, uh, use Apple podcasts or any other podcast service that allows you to review a podcast, uh, please give us a five-star review. Um, send us a screenshot of that to marvelbythemonth at gmail.com and we will put some goodies in the mail for you. Marvelbythemonth.com has links to our other social channels as well as our shop. And I think that's all for now. Um, so, uh, until next week, my name is Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Milne. 
Get yourself a dose or two of that super soldier serum as soon as you're able. And until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay inside and read comics. Mm-hmm.